Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 81, You Were Myth Taken. This week we're discussing season 4, episode 12 of Buffy, A New Man, and series 6, episode 4 of Doctor Who, The Doctor's Wife. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay. We made it through the saying of the title with somewhat straight faces. Yeah, um, not even. Not even. A little bit of giggling. Um, and actually, that's appropriate because we were talking just before we started about the fact that this is a Jane Espenson episode. And the more I see of her, um, I knew certainly she's one of the more well-known screenwriters or like TV script writers, I guess, working today. Like, mm-hmm. you don't usually, uh, you know, I don't know how many people can name TV writers off the top of their head. Like, it's not usually right. names you're hugely familiar with. But there are a handful which are pretty well known. And she's, I think, one of them. Like, sure. she's worked so many different shows that have been popular. Yeah. Um, so she's a name that I know. But, like, the more... I didn't necessarily know much about her like what kind of a writer she was and uh the more i see of her um this is not to pigeonhole her because she can do all sorts of things but she really is one of the funniest writers out there i think sure. and like consistently um no matter what show she's working on um what i've seen her uh you know her episodes always have those great like laugh you know, laugh out loud moments and things. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's nice to pick a title, which is a nod to, you know, (laughs) like just the little bits of anyone else would just, you know, we thought you're a myth, you know, well, I'm not. And then the story moves on, but no, she has to put in there. Well, you are myth taken. Right. Um, (laughs) Like any opportunity for like a cheap joke, she'll take it. Yeah. So Uh, although that said, she also wrote the Game of Thrones episodes in uh, in which she uh, they poured the molten hot gold right. over what's his yeah. face's head. So sure, she she can also do not funny as absolutely. well. Absolutely, <laughs> she absolutely can. Yeah, no, that's not to pigeonhole her at all. She, she's clearly, um, you know, uh, very versatile. Um, but I. I do find that whenever now now that I know her name, whenever I watch an episode mm-hmm. of something that she, that she's written and I recognize that she wrote the script, I do find myself enjoying yeah. myself, even when it's like a morbid episode, like the Game of Thrones one, yeah, like, or or Torchwood or something, or Torchwood, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's still always those bits of like, you know, uh, I mean, again, even. I've said before, I did watch Battlestar Galactica recently, and that can be a decidedly grim show. Sure. And even that, you get those crazy moments of, like, you know, mm-hmm. black humor even. Um, yep. So I just really like that element of her writing. Um, and this is, and again, like, Buffy definitely has its serious moments and its really dramatic moments, but it's it's also consistently funny too so she gets to really like shine in that setting i think so we get um this is a great giles episode um very enjoyable yeah yeah so so let's start with giles 
Um, okay. Because this is really, you know, you kind of hinted that this episode was kind of, if not the resolution, at least kind of acknowledgement of what we've been noticing so far, which is him being like on more on the periphery this season, like still involved, mm -hmm. but um, both the character, you know, from inside the story and kind of, you know, from a more meta outside the story, like the character and the actor more on the fringes than he has been, you know, because of this move to the college setting. Um, sure. And, and just as, I like, I, I think both these shows do that, that they like to acknowledge in the story things which are kind of true outside the story. So, like, just as the writers are trying to figure out what to do with Giles now that we're not in the high school library anymore, Giles is kind of trying to figure out what his place is now that they've moved on to college. Um, and so we kind of get more of a sense of his kind of struggle with that. Um, you know, so like in a couple of different ways, both of uh, feeling kind of less connected to, you know, the Scoobies themselves. So, you know, having to deal with the fact that Buffy, we'll talk a little bit about his feelings about Professor Walsh later, but, you know, <laughs> having sure. to uh, deal with the fact that Buffy has other mentors in her life now mm -hmm. like both from like the slaying point of view and just as you know looking for you know uh, um you know parental role models and stuff you know that she's in a new setting where she's not relying on him so much to be the go-to guy for all of her advice and everything yeah um and also just the sense of they're now these kind of uh as they're growing up from being more kids into being young adults, in a way that, even though they're getting older, in a way that almost makes him feel more outside the loop because he's sure. not even, he's, he's even less of the kind of parent to them, you know? And so now yeah. when they're at the parties, he's aware of the fact that he's not the same age as them. Um, like that great part where Buffy's like, you know, well, Professor Walsh is like 40 years old. She has better things to do than hang out with us. And like... You know, that both kind of makes him aware of the fact that he's in his 40s probably and older than he's not the same age as them, but also he doesn't have anything better to be doing. <laughs> he like, so he doesn't, yeah. not only does he not fit in here with them, yeah. he wouldn't really fit in out away from them either, you know, because this is his life is being with them. Yeah. Um, no. And he doesn't even have his job at the library to go yeah. back to. And, and, you know, like his job is to help Buffy, but he can't help Buffy properly. So he's sort of left with nothing to do really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just an interesting kind of like mix of like, no matter what he does, there's no real good thing to, for him to be doing. He's sort of stuck in the middle. Yeah. No, I, th that's all great. Uh, and Riley, you know, sort of saying, Oh, what are you retired? Like, <laughs> you know, he doesn't, he doesn't even right. look old, old enough to be like, retired yet. A but, little, like, 30 years too early or something, yeah. you know. And, and, but on the, you know, on the other hand, he also, he's, quote, between things. But, you know, he was basically fired from the Watchers Council. And right. then, his, you know, the school blew up. And it's like, well, right. they're just, you know, what is he doing now? Um, 
the other thing I would point out, so when he's at the party, there's also the moment where he kind of looks around and he's like, oh, you know, there's a lot of new faces here, a lot of people I don't know. And, and Willow kind of plays it off. Oh, it's just a lot of people, you know, from the dorm or, you know, whatever here, there, some of Riley's friends. But, you know, the other thing is he knew Buffy before either of them really right. knew anybody else. So, like, it's easy to look at Buffy as, you know, kind of growing up and gaining new friends and, you know, this and that. But mm-hmm. Giles was also new in town when Buffy was new in town. Right. And, you know, so there's there's this idea that, like, you know, he he, you know, first day of school, he slams this vampire book down and is like, right. I'm going to be your watcher. And, and she didn't want to have anything about it. But, like, you know, very soon after that, the two of them become very close. And, yeah. and yeah, Buffy picks up a few friends. But even in that context, it's still, you know, they're in high school. Buffy, the friends that she's, uh, you know, making there in high school are people that Giles is going to be seeing from a high school librarian perspective. And, yeah. you know, the idea that even though she might make new friends and stuff, within high school he still kind of has maybe not control but oversight of yeah. um you know he knows the people who the people are or at least has access to know who they are this right. is like yeah now it's completely different now there's just and not to say that you know it's not appropriate or anything because you know why like he even says to her you know i don't want to feel like i don't want you to feel like i'm you know like you can't have a life or that you you have to betray right. your confidence, you know, someone's confidence or whatever. But <clears throat> there is that sense of as a watcher, he could literally look out for her before and yeah. now he can't. And so yeah. there's there's sort of this um, you know, metaphorical thing going alongside the you know, of being the watcher going along, alongside with the thing of he he's not capable of even being a watcher, even if he was. You yeah. know, how would he insert himself into sort of her daily life the way that he was able to when yeah. he was at school and she was at school and they all had the same sort of, not not the same circle of friends, but the same circle of acquaintances and, and yeah. influences and that kind of thing. So um, that's also part of it too. And there's sort of, I would say maybe an emasculation going on, you yeah. know, in not being able to be that thing. And then sort of the literal emasculation <laughs> that yeah. he gets from Professor Walsh later. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, that um, really sort of brings yeah, him down. Yeah, I'm twice the man she is. Um, <laughs> and, uh, we should hope at least. <laughs> I ho- yeah, like, uh, I-, I think so, right? Um, but, yeah, like, this is, like, unsupervised Buffy and I guess that's where, like, the Watcher-Slayer uh, relationship does serve as, like, a nice uh, metaphor for just, like, parent-child, you know, because a lot of parents feel that way when their kids go off to college. Like, sure. you again, like, it's not like you're picking and approving their friends necessarily, but when they live at home, you have a certain amount of control over their relationships and activities. Um you know, and a lot of parents feel that way when their kids go off is suddenly, mm-hmm. you know, they could be doing anything and meeting anybody and you don't know who is influencing them, you know, and that the kind of worry about the kind of crowds they might be, you know, getting into, um, yeah. you know, and we've talked about how, like, Giles and uh, Buffy do have a very almost parental relationship you know, mm-hmm. which is, that's not even metaphorical. That's just 
true, you know, because yeah. he is the male role model in her life and the closest thing to a father figure that she has. And in a lot of ways, you know, a closer relationship than she has with her and mom. Um, just because of what he knows and, you know, yep. uh, the amount of time they spend together and everything. So both on like a metaphorical and a literal level, um, that is, yeah, like emasculating and just that loss of like sense of control and, and not control in a controlling way, like you said, but more the, the ability to look out for her and protect her, mm -hmm. you know, if she needs it. Um, or provide, you know. not, yeah, not even so much protection when she needs it because she clearly is able to protect herself a yeah, lot. Yeah, you know? yeah, not like but physical like, um, or, yeah. But for reference and guidance, like there's a moment yeah. where she says, you know, I keep thinking, you know, oh, let's ask Giles. And then I remember <laughs> we're yeah. looking for Giles. Like yeah. that's yeah. that's the thing that she needs from him. So it's not yeah. even, it's not even about like him stepping in, you know, for her. It's about you know, being reliable and being the one to be there for her when she needs it, when she yeah. is looking for that sort of help. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, I mean, he has, like, even, and, and we've made comment, like, you know, I'm thinking back to the Halloween episode where he was sitting there all alone eating candy, you know, or, yeah. uh, you know, that kind of thing, like, or, or, you know, him saying to Buffy, what, you know, I can't have a life. And, and she's like, mm -hmm. yeah, but it's gross. <laughs> like when you have a life, you know, yeah. like that kind of thing. So, yeah. I mean, like, it's not the first time where we've gotten a hint that, you know, Giles is sort of dealing with these things on his own. But yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, this is really, this is where it's sort of coming to fruition, right? He really is feeling left out. And I'll point out that Olivia has not come back again. Like right. we've we've now not seen her for a couple of episodes. Yeah, you know? so we've so. seen we've seen a sort of attempt of him to have a life of his own. You know, to yeah. have a relationship which isn't directly connected to, like through the Scoobies. You know, mm -hmm. like 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 his relationship with Olivia is very much would be more of a separate thing. You yeah. know, even than like Jenny was. Um, right. Right. You know, but. Yeah, like you said, she, you know, is hesitant about that. So it kind of calls into the question his ability to have that. You know, like, it would be tough to find a person, you know, who he could have a relationship with that, like that with, who was sort of okay with also this other, you know, life that he has. Mm -hmm. um, so his own sort of... Uh, you know, attempts to do that have been sort of halting, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so we get him at the party and, and you know, boring Anya and <laughs> kind of wallflowery <laughs> sitting by himself. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And realizing that he doesn't, uh, you do kind of forget and it glosses over that he doesn't know anything about Riley. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, later he finds out he still has no idea that Riley's connected to the initiative or what the initiative is, that Buffy even knows about it. He doesn't even know any of that. But, like, even something as basic as he's never met Riley, he doesn't even know that Buffy's dating him. Right. Um, which you do just assume he must have learned that at some point, and everyone sort of makes that assumption. Um, you know, so, yeah, again, just that feeling of being totally left out. Um, 
Yeah, and, and I then, do. I and I just want to point out again because, like, in you know, some it's this show, you know, does sort of run alongside the calendar year. So, you know, this episode is again in January, whereas like Hush, which was only two episodes ago, was in December. So, you sure. know, at this point, you can sort of think that Buffy and Riley have kind of been seeing each other for like a month or maybe a little right. more than a month. So, like, it's not. It's not even like you know, it's just started, like they've been dating for two days or something, right. you know what I mean? Like right. you know, yeah. something silly like that. Like it's been a little while. It's been well, enough and, and where like started... if you have such a good close relationship, yeah, you know that that it does happen, uh you would tell someone like, you know, Giles who you're close to, that that sort of thing. Yeah. And it but yeah, there are those moments where it's like, Oh, I didn't even know you were seeing someone or when did you start seeing them and you know I don't know so it like it I just want to yeah point out that it's like not even been like a week or two just because it's been two episodes it's been kind of a little bit longer than that and they started dating before they realized what the other one even was so there wasn't a particular reason to be hiding it at first it's not like oh we've been secretly dating because we know Giles would disapprove or something like Riley was yeah. just the normal boyfriend, so there really wasn't any, like, up until she found out about the initiative, she really had no reason to sort of be sneaky about it. Um, so Right, that she was dating him. And then even, yeah. and then even like, now at this point, the fact that he is part of the initiative, she's like, oh, I thought you knew already. So, like, right. it's even not at even that like point, it's deal. not even like yeah. she's hiding the fact that... Yeah. You know, there's an. I mean, they're not you know shouting it from the rooftops that there's an initiative, but yeah, for like but the inner like, circle of people, yeah, you know, they're not. It it doesn't seem like it's that big. Of it's a deal. an open secret, yeah. Um, um, anyway, but so uh, we do. You know, you kind of have his worst suspicions confirmed when he goes to meet with Professor Walsh. You know, and you know, I don't know what he's hoping to find there maybe another kind of Jenny, like another sort of kindred spirit of someone who they could kind of, he could connect with, like not necessarily romantically, but like mentor together, like, you know, reach a common understanding about, you know, but of course. And at that point he doesn't know that she's in charge of the initiative. Well, right. Um, Right. Right. So like, so that's wrong. So maybe not looking. Yeah. So maybe that would be too, too much to expect but I think he you know seems a little defensive but kind of cautiously optimistic that you know he and Professor Walsh can kind of connect over Buffy and kind of have similar views and you know that doesn't they, happen. they don't <laughs> to yeah. put it mildly um, and uh, you know Walsh is kind of a tough cookie, um, you know, and she's, I mean, she's not the nicest person. Like, she's she's kind of blunt, but, like, you know. It, Which Buffy pretty, has told her yeah. before to her face, right? It, the yeah. whole, when, when Oz left and Willow was feeling down right. and Buffy was like, you know, for someone who teaches, you know, about human action and yeah, human, you, don't really you know, know, whatever, you don't really people. seem to know a yeah. lot, but. Yeah. No, and she's, I mean, and so even more than that, I mean, even more than, like, kind of tactless Anya, who says the wrong thing and then and then corrects herself when she tries to learn social graces, like, Walsh seems to 
I don't know, there seems to be something more deliberate about her bluntness. Like, she knows, I think, that what she's saying is, like, kind of, you know, aggressive. You know, like, it seems to me that she is kind of disapproving of Giles, you know, whole attitude. Like, openly disapproving of it. Mm -hmm. You know, like, kind of mocking even. Like, the you know, the way he says, like, you know, he's trying to let her you know, find her own footing. And she kind of cuts it down with the, like, kind of cruel, like, oh, yeah. well, if it's true about hiking, it must be true about life. Like, she has this kind of, like, superior sarcasm, you know, about the way she, yeah. you know. So not only do we disagree, but I'm going to make it very clear that I think your method is stupid, mm -hmm. um, you know. And, and, like, all of her criticisms are directly aimed at him. Like... You know, Buffy lacks encouragement in the academic setting. She says to Buffy's librarian, you know, or, um, you know, he, she's lacking a, a male role model when clearly that's what Giles is to her, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, if, or, if, she's close even... enough, if she's close enough with Giles that he would come yeah. and seek her out, you, this is more than just, like, or at a least casual, that like a, an old teacher. Like, this is clearly yeah. someone she has a mentoring relationship with. Yeah. So all of her comments seem to me, like, very pointedly, openly critical of him. Oh, yeah. You know? So, um... Yeah. yeah. So Even the it, emphasis on the word friend at the end. You know, I'll yeah. tell Buffy her friend was looking for her. Right. Like, or, or when he you know, says Buffy's a special girl and she's like, yeah, she's a special woman. It's like, oh, well, mm. yeah. He's like, how wrong of yeah, me to choose like, my own like, words. Like, yeah. You know, little, little unsubtle corrections and everything. Yeah. Um, you know, that kind of thing. I, you know, and it seems that, so where, okay, so she's, you know, human psychology teacher uh, or professor or whatever. And it seems very clear that she is able to pick right up on all of those things from Giles, yeah. you know, as yeah. soon as he walks in. So yeah. regardless of whether, you know, what Buffy thinks, she can tell that he thinks of himself as a male role model for yeah. her, you know, and that's why she sort of picks on that and, you know, picks it out as something to sort of, you know, and that's pull down and that kind of thing. You, you mentioned the line about, like, what, she said in relation to Oz and you could just take it at, and that's kind of seems to be what Buffy's saying is like, Oh, the irony of you're a psych, you're a psych teacher and you don't understand people. Right. But I don't know that that's what's going on because that seems to yeah. be more like what Anya is like, she doesn't understand, right. you know, and she is, you know, she's learning and more sort of, you know, innocently like the bull in the china shop you know she doesn't mm -hmm. mean to be you know like she can be a little you know cutting sometimes but it's more like she is having to learn all these little subtle clues that she doesn't pick up on <laughs> right. whereas it could be yeah. more that walsh is very adept at psychology and what comes across this kind of tactlessness is calculated you know, like, mm. she knows what to say to press the button, so, you know, and she can figure out, and this is speculative, I don't know, like, maybe something will prove me wrong, but I wonder if Buffy misread her there, and it's not that she doesn't understand people, it's that she understands them very well, and it seems like she knows the buzzwords to say that are, you know, you know, seem to be kind of the most hurtful. Yeah. Um, 
certainly in this scene with Giles. Um, yeah. And with, I mean, we're talking about Walsh now, but like just to cover the scene with Buffy, the scene with Buffy too, like, you know, making it very clear that she kind of disapproves of Buffy's yeah. methods, you know, <laughs> that like you're dealing with magic and pointed sticks and we deal in science and, you know, yeah. rationalism and logic and weapons and everything. Right. Um, and we're going to fix that. You know, like, right. you know. Yeah, and and it is funny because, like, she that does come through, and then she kind of changes her tune a little bit with Buffy, like, well, you know, we'll talk. And so it's like, yeah, it's like almost that in conjunction with the conversation with Giles. Like, yeah, Walsh is saying, okay, we're, you know, we're the military. We'll put you through basic training. We'll teach yeah. you how to, you know, eat, sleep, and, you know, do your calisthenics and you'll be marching to a different tune literally when you're done with it all. And so like there is that sort of mentality there of, you know, everything that you've been told or taught before now is wrong and we're here to come fix things up. And that is sort of a very, you know, military psychology Mm -hmm. sort of attitude to have. Um, And I think, so here's one thing actually, and I've thought this before and I legitimately don't know the answer to this. Uh, and I don't know that we ever get a clear answer one way or the other. But one of the things that I wonder is, you know, she seems to know, Walsh seems to know who the Slayer is mm-hmm. or is purported to be. And, right. You know, so when Buffy comes... Or like, she knows the myth of the Slayer. Yeah, the myth yeah. of the Slayer. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Um, and so, like, you know, it's not like Riley when he's like, Slayer, what? Like yeah. who would you right, talk right, about? Right. Like yeah, she yeah. seems to know. Oh, you know, oh, the Slayer, and that, and that actually, there's something important about it, at least, yeah. or seems to be important about it. Um, I wonder if she also knows about the Watcher, mm. and so I wonder if she picks up on that. That's who Giles is or was. Yeah, and if that's part of, you right. know, it too. Like not like so. It, it wouldn't be far off, I think, to think that if she did know about the Watcher and was able to surmise that, oh, here's an Englishman who was a librarian in a small California town. Yeah. I wonder where that came from. Oh, right. he he's a friend to the Slayer. Right. Maybe he's the Watcher. Like, yeah. I could almost see her putting all of that together, yeah. you know, before... Like very quickly, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, and, and and that would seem consistent to me because all of her things, the 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 kind of criticisms and insults do seem to be deliberate, right? You know, again, not just insensitivity, but like pointed criticisms of the way he's dealt with Buffy to right. this point, you know. And and so, like, going back to the comments about like the father figure sort of thing. It's like, well, why would you expect some random librarian, school librarian to be the father figure? Like, right. why are you picking that out? Because like, oh, what about her father? <laughs> like, right. like, why right. are you criticizing Giles for not being a proper yeah. father figure when she actually has a father? So like, what would you like, maybe a friend relationship or some different type of mentoring relationship is actually more appropriate than being a father figure and yeah. that kind of thing. So like, like these little criticisms do seem to imply to me that like maybe she did that she was aware maybe of yeah the watcher role and that Giles was or should have been and somehow failed in that role yeah and so and not just even subjectively in her opinion failed but like it's clear that 
you know, he's no longer her watcher now, too. So, like, yeah. I, but again, I don't know how much of that Walsh knows, and I don't think we ever get a clear idea of what she knows at that point. But I do think there's some hint of yeah. of that in her criticisms there. And certainly we can read those, in, even if she does or doesn't know about it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that that's just one thing that I was always sort of curious of in that scene, is if if she yeah. knew about the Watcher, having known about the Slayer, you know, if she yeah. also knew about that. And that does seem, I think that would be consistent with what we see. Um, it seems that she does have a certain amount of knowledge um, mm-hmm. about, you know, that he's not just some random yeah. librarian. Even if um, they don't act, like even if her attitude is more along um, the lines of forests that these are just animals and stuff. She would at least know about the sort of written history yeah. and mythology of the Slayer and the demons and all of these yeah. other things. Um, I guess just to finish up Giles's opinions of Walsh, like he totally picks up on all of that and at the end kind of confirms, like, I do hate her quite a lot. <laughs> like, even when he's warning Buffy off of her, he's trying yeah. to be objective and not say... It's not, you know, I'm not just saying this because I hate her, but I do, you know? So he's totally got his guard up where she's concerned, you know? And I certainly, you know, from his point of view, don't blame him for that, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but is there anything better than when he tells Spike to pull the car over so he can get out and scare Walsh? That's kind of the best thing ever, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, it is. Uh, Yeah, like... He, and and when he just when he's trying to hang on to his last bits of conscience and humanity, and he's not going to give in to yeah. his demonic rage. Yeah. Oh, pull the car over. Yeah. yeah. And just gets out to have one little bit of of you know guilt free fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I tor- tormenting her. I love that um, too. When he comes back, he sort like I mean, it's in Fiaro language or whatever, but he's kind of chuckling, you know, like to himself yeah. when he yeah. goes running back to yeah. the car. Um, it's so funny. Yeah, uh, no, that is perfect. You, you know, and I do have to say, if we're continuing to talk about Walsh just a little bit more, although uh-huh. we, we should move on to some other characters I at know, some point. I know. Um, I want to say too that like for this is not the first time where she's been sort of chased by a demon and run I off screaming that. and run off screaming. Right, um, so that makes you wonder, is that an act for the benefit of passersby, you know? Or is it really that out of the setting of her lab and her instruments and her men with guns, she has no uh, real ability to handle the situation? That's the way I read it. Okay. The second way. Uh, but, you know, others could read it differently I'm I'm sure yeah I just wouldn't I wouldn't know because I would like to see a I, you, you want I, to see more of I, her I but. could I could I could imagine a situation where they would then show us somewhere where but you know even as I say that we've seen her do that where there's nobody else around because what episode was it where it's like she's like alone on campus yeah, it was uh, with the when Oz and, with, and Veruca with, right. first meet. Right, so it's not like she needs to like pretend to be a victim or something. Like there, she if she you know she could have taken them down. I guess like if she, not that she could fight like, you know Buffy or Riley necessarily, but like, you know, 
she didn't necessarily have to act that terrified. Right, because so, she was yeah. just by herself, alone. Like, so I guess she, that does that right. does kind of seem to confirm that yeah, she's she's not the most physically capable. You know, she's a scientist. She once controlled test subjects, and you know, mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of military personnel around to kind of keep them in line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Hilarious. That yeah. was that was the greatest. Um, well, so before Giles does get turned, though, um, you know, we get this idea of him kind of trying to prevent this demon from rising, you know, a little, just a little kind of plot thing to get him into the crypt. Um, and, uh, <laughs> we get the reveal of Ethan, you know, that, well, it must not be happening. And they kind of, he kind of leaves in disappointment and, uh, the moment with oh and as, you you kind of hinted that somebody was going to turn up um and i don't i should have known it would be ethan because it's giles episode and of course ethan always turns up whenever there's giles episodes um yeah but i, should I remember mean, that in the future there've been a lot of people who have yeah no there's a lot of people you know. it could have been um but but that is appropriate so he kind of turns up to make some mischief um and the great bit of uh him starting to do his evil monologue and then Giles coming back in. Oh, bugger, I thought you'd gone. Um, reminded me so much of Spike doing his evil monologuing and then getting zapped by the commandos earlier on. <laughs> yeah. So Ethan and Spike kind of have a similar, like, bumbling quality to yeah. some of their villainy. Um, evil in their own way, but not always yeah. the most effective not always the most effective and <laughs> and taken down by their own you know it's the stay and gloat that always gets me yeah. you know like i know it's like foiled by their own uh desire to kind of lord it over the heroes and yeah. like and monologue to themselves and everything yeah um you know and like so then they go to the pub and get drunk and everything and uh, again the another hilarious moment of telling him that he's poisoned him and he'll be dead in the morning and then this like silence just kidding ah! yeah. and like laughing and everything like it, it but Ethan's, like, like at the same great, time Ethan's a great commentary on that kind of villain you know um, the kinds of things they do and then subverting it yeah yeah no like you could totally see him doing that sort of thing but no he doesn't he doesn't actually get a thrill out of directly killing right it's no. his whole worship of chaos so yeah. what can be more chaotic than turning giles the most you know one of the most harmless men you know yeah. whatever into a demon that is known for its rage and anger and yeah. you know just senseless destruction and that kind of thing so to him that's it's not even about like killing giles or even getting the slayer to kill him necessarily it's more about just how kind of funny it is, and yeah. I think I think in that respect, it, it's also another, you know, a lot similar to Spike, right? It's not, yeah. it's not about you know, taking over the world. It's, it's right? not about taking yeah. over the world. It's not even about killing people per se. It's about yeah. how much fun are you having, having doing, fun, yeah. you know, doing this sort of weird, senseless destruction, and whatever. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Um. And we get to in the scene in the bar, you know, Giles kind of 
even commiserating with Ethan a little bit, that the world has passed us by. Someone snuck in and left a couple has-beens in our place. Yeah. I'm an unemployed librarian with a tendency to get knocked on the head. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and we've had commentary uh, even within like the world like other people saying why does Giles always get knocked out so much yeah, yeah, you know yeah. like one day you're gonna wake up in a coma yeah <laughs> wake up in a coma what yeah. um yeah no it's it's it is funny um and and I mean the even once he's turned into a demon and he's kind of in danger the fun continues like demon Giles is quite amusing um like just the contrast of his very proper voice with you know what he looks like and that everything he touches he breaks you know like i love the kind mm -hmm. of just grabbing the banister and it snaps off and just damn and he goes on to the you know and so he's crushing his phone and ripping his clothes and pulling the door off its hinges like he yeah. can't touch anything without breaking it you know yeah, he doesn't he's know such his own a, strength he's such a kind of genteel and in control person normally you know right right that the contrast is just funny mm -hmm. yep um so the the whole you know he goes to see xander and and Xander wakes up and he just like stands up and yells, "Demon, demon!" And I love like, the, like the growling as he like that great shot of what of Xander's POV with like Giles yeah. like the demon face over him like growling this like weird language that you can't understand. So yeah. funny. Um, I was like, I wonder like. What the, what must Xander's parents think? But then I'm like, well, right. we we get told that it's like 10:30 in the morning. His parents are probably at work. Like right. he's probably at home alone. Right. So he's right. like yeah. st just standing there yelling, and the demon dude, runs off, <laughs> um, throwing pots and pans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, he does. He kind of chases him off, I guess. But sort like, of, yeah. the the only only a Giles demon would actually well, be scared exactly. by that. Like, it, 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 yeah. No, and it's that classic Xander thing of it's never him that fights it off. It's always something else. And then he kind of does his, like, well, good, get out of here kind of thing. Like, he always is sort of weirdly yeah. proud of, you yeah. know, what he's done, um, which is not usually much. But, um, you know, and, and you know, people sort of yelling at him and afraid of him. And, of course, you know, he says, like, bloody humans. Like, he's only been a demon for, like, 20 minutes. He's already cursing right. the, the, right. the human race like these stupid people, you know. Yeah. Um, how quickly your perspective changes when you're in mm -hmm. somebody else's shoes, right? Sure. Um, uh, you know, and then we get... Uh, well, actually, before I talk about Spike, um, I, I, I think it's interesting, too, that... There's something kind of um, Minotaur-like about his appearance, mm. like with the big horns and everything. And he mentioned the Minotaur earlier yeah. to Walsh. Yeah. He kind of says, which was interesting, like, he says, like, she's hard to find, like, she's in a labyrinth. And he feels like Theseus in the labyrinth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, but then, like, so it's just interesting that later he has those kind of, like, almost kind of bull horns and, uh, mm -hmm. you know. Just a little, yeah. No, a little I, connection there. I think that makes sense. Like there is a yeah, and I wonder. I'm not like, sure what else to do with that. Um, but well, yeah, and and who knows? Like, is it is it that? Like, did Ethan, you know, turn him into that demon specifically, or was it like, you know, it could have been maybe a spell that like 
Right. You know, one of those things where, like, Giles turns into a demon, you know, that he feels like at the moment or something. You know what I mean? Right, like, something right. along. Like, picking up on his subconscious yeah, or something. Like, yeah, maybe yeah. there's some subconscious. So he says that, but also, you know, he kind of does want to, you know, put a beat down on Maggie Walsh. So, of course, it's right. going to be a demon that's also, you know, known for its rage and anger. And, yeah. you know, he's he's sort of been repressing it all, but, you know, it kind of lets him... I, you know, I don't know, because we don't get the yeah. details about right. what, de- you know, Ethan does, but I could definitely no, see that sort of thing, you know, being the case, especially given, you know, discussing how the fact that it's, you know, there's, like, that psychological component there with Walsh, so maybe there's, yeah. you know, something there, too. Um but, you know, I, whether it is or isn't, it's it's still, I think you're right. Like, there's definitely that quality to it. Um, yeah. Um, um, and, and so we also get, well, then he goes and meets Spike. Right. Uh, right. And you have the brief moment of, of me and Giles both thinking, great, Spike's going to try to kill him. Because, of course, Spike can kill demons now. And it's like, and of course, like, this is, but, of course, Spike can understand him because he speaks fioral. Um, which is hilarious and 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 he's able to bribe him for like 200 bucks like to like help him you know yeah oh money i like money yeah spikes you know the opportunist you know and he's kind of a cheap opportunist so great you know so he you know will help him find ethan uh you know and is not great at driving I guess it's a stick shift or something, you know, spikes. Of course. Yeah, it's a Citroen, right? So it's, yeah, you know, yeah. it's a foreign car. And, of course, Giles would have a manual shift. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, although, yeah, I, I was thinking about it. I mean, Spike is ostensibly English as well. But, right. I, you know, I guess maybe he's just been in America so it's long. It's been a he's, while. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe he even came to America before cars were invented. So, like, right, right. you know, he may just never have had to deal with that. Whereas Giles obviously grew up in England and so, right, you right. know, grew up more likely uh, driving a manual uh, shift. But no, uh, but you get great, like, little buddy comedy stuff with them yeah. in the car. Like, you know, Giles <laughs> sort of griping at him about how to drive properly and, you know. Yeah. Um, but I do, so there's, a there's also the, the, and as part of that whole conversation, you know, where he's kind of like learning more what it's like to be a Fjarl demon or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's saying like, you know, I refuse to become a monster because I look like a monster. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a soul, a conscience, I'm a human being. But there's also that, that part where, you know, he says that he feel like he's feeling more and more, mm-hmm. not like, like he's not able to control that. So. It seems like, you know, maybe sort of a delayed reaction or something is going on here. Like, the longer he is in that body, like you kind of said, like, you know, how quickly you change. But at least, like, here he's still able to sort of, well, and then he gets out of the car and chases Maggie Walsh. But, uh, you know, I mean. He indulges in it for a minute. That's, like, deliberate. Like, he deliberately makes that choice. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's not mindless. But you get the sense that gone on longer... And yeah. maybe it would, you know, right. it would it's become getting stronger, that way, yeah. like that, that he would at some point lose his humanity, you know, and yeah. become full-fledged demon or whatever. Um, so Yeah, so just more further kind of data for, like, this whole conversation of the humanity or inhumanity of mm. the demons, you know, whether it's vampires or something else that, like... sure. 
the longer that you are something, the more, you know, the more of your humanity you lose, the easier it is to forget and to lose control over yourself. Um, yeah, maybe. Uh, although, I mean, we don't get, like, it's only, like, what, a day or something? So, like, yeah. we never get to that point with Giles. So, who knows? Maybe at some point he would have been able to master it or whatever. But yeah. it, it is, no, I think you're right. It is another sort of piece of data for that longer conversation of what does it mean to be human? Does having a soul and a conscience, is that enough? Or is there, you know, it, yeah. like Spike, you know, has a chip that can control... You know, he can hurt demons, but not humans. So, like, you know, is that is that also necessary? Like, you know, what is that? Like, mm -hmm. how, do, how do people, you know, do people have that sort of on their own built in? Or, you know, of course, we've seen bad people as well. So, you know, people like Ethan Rain, even though he's yeah. not directly hurting people, he's sort of creating the situation in which people will get hurt. Yeah. Uh, you know... Is that, is that just like Spike, whereas, you know, he needs a chip, too? <laughs> right. We get that great line from Riley at the end where he's pretty confident that he'll be rehabilitated. And you're like, well, what, what exactly does that mean? Right, yeah, yeah. Like, Forced and, rehabilitation. And is, yeah. this, is this better than just killing him outright, you know? Right, like, right. Like, if, I don't know. Anyway, um, gone far away from Giles in that, that moment there. But I think, uh, yeah, it's worth pointing out that there is sort of a time component to all of this, too, right? Like, it's not, yeah. we, you know, there's sort of a desperateness to figure out how to change him back, Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in all of this. Yes. Um, um, I guess the, the, the last big Giles thing being the kind of... Uh, climax with Buffy that she does end up stabbing him with the letter opener um, which thankfully isn't r real silver um, <laughs> she would have killed him yeah um, and that she like as she's doing it recognizes you know you know recognizes his eyes but specifically his look of annoyance you know which she's very familiar with so um, you know that being great that like she can there's something about the way that he, their relationship that she can totally recognize. And, uh, you know, even through the, the demon form and everything, um, which we knew, I don't, you know, like it's good to see them sort of reconciled at the end, but I don't think that was anything we were worried about. Like we know Giles and Buffy have a special relationship and a strong connection, you know, um, it's good for Giles, I think, to have it confirmed again that, like, she can totally read him even, you know, when he doesn't look like him. Like, it's good to know that she relates to him in a better way, you know, while sure nobody else has replaced him, you know, mm. yet. You know, that they really do have that special connection. But, um, you know, I don't think that was ever in doubt. As much as Buffy you know, does kind of now think to go to Walsh as well as Giles when she has a question or a problem. Um, you know, which is a little worrying, but, you know, but I think this was a nice wake-up call to remember to appreciate Giles, you know, that how bad would things be if he were gone? And, yeah. you know, and 
she would not have him to turn to and she really doesn't want to lose him you know um yep either to a demon or just in general you know don't let him just sort of drift off make sure you keep that relationship yeah. alive and everything so yeah yep good stuff um definitely oh yeah and there's that that moment where like you can't help but sort of cringe when she when she tells Giles that Maggie Walsh is like the smartest person she ever oh, yeah, knew, yeah. you know, and you're just like, yeah, yeah. oh, come on. Looks, oh, funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know that she's not, she's not meaning it as a slight to Giles, no. but it just, that's the way it comes it across. Happens. Yeah. 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 Um, and, yeah. and there is that, mo- like, so. Even though she calls her Maggie, that they've now. Yeah, and There's where she still calls him Giles. Yeah, relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there is uh, going back to the whole Giles and Walsh conversation too. I I do get you kind of get that sense that it's like an amateur talking to a professional, right? Like in, in yeah. any like pick your profession, like whatever, like that. It's that that's the way that Walsh is looking at it. Like it's you know you you're not good enough to be at my level kind of thing you know yeah. you're a high school librarian i'm a right. college professor kind of thing yeah. you know yeah. and it, it, anyway like that you do get that sense so like just adding sort of wood to the fire so to speak um yeah. but anyway no it's good obviously that they reconcile there at the end but um, yeah. we should probably yeah, and, talk and, well and so I guess just to switch, uh, you know, we get the connection of Giles warning Buffy, you know, to be cautious Mm -hmm. with her, you know, who she kind of aligns herself with, you know, and not to be. And that they don't know about the initiative yet. Yeah. They don't really know. Just to exercise healthy caution and go in with your eyes open. Don't just, you know, assume too much. And then we kind of get a similar you know Walsh kind of giving a similar sort of caution to Riley you know that you know and and she seems more open about the connection like she wants to bring Buffy into the fold I guess um but still that same sort of well she's gonna have to trust Riley's judgment she's not totally sure that she agrees with him yet so you kind of get her feeling a little bit cautious too just like Giles is um you also get okay so uh the, you know Riley has Ethan taken into custody by the US military at the end so does this imply that the initiative is connected with the US military that this is like a a government approved program which is in place um yeah although that's what it seemed to me was was that a question before and it may just be a factor of me just sort of assume that and seeing that so many times but yeah i guess like they seemed like vaguely military but i don't know that i knew for sure that they had like official connections okay that, that, that these and could fair, have been like fair enough, yeah. these could have been like mercenaries with guns, you know, or like you know maybe military trained people who then got hired by this you know private organization that's doing research or whatever. 
I just didn't know for sure before, I don't think. So, you know, okay. interesting to have no, that confirmed. Um, yeah, no, and, and that's that's probably good because I think it, it is funny sort of the assumptions you just make. But, yeah, I think you're right. I'm not sure that we get an explicit mention yeah. of U.S. military before now. So, yeah. so yes. I mean, yeah. I, you know, the fact that they are tapped into, like, 911 calls and that, you know, right. they get sort of all of this other data and he somehow yeah. has a key for every shop on main street and you know, like that kind of thing. Like, right. Like, yeah, I guess you're right. They, that could all be sort of nefarious as well. Like maybe they're illegally tapped into the 911 call. Right. And, I just didn't, I just you know, wasn't whatever. sure. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, this, this definitely makes it explicit. They are yeah. a project or an initiative of, you know, some yeah. special operations of the military yeah. at this point. Yeah. Um, and they're taking Ethan to Nevada for detention, I guess. So. Yeah. And rehabilitation, and just, whatever that means. I'll just mention it's not the first time, right, that we've seen sort of military step in. Um, no. We saw it with the, the invisible girl. The, yeah. Right, 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 to her school for invisible people. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, so there um, is some precedent for for that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, happening. And it's just like now we're getting maybe a more of an insight into some of the ways that happens. Yeah. Um, um, we also get the fact that Ethan mentions um, the, the, the fear that the demons are having about something about the number, you know, 341. Um, and uh, we get... 314. 314. Sorry, I switched yeah. the numbers. 314. And um, and we get the last shot being uh, Professor Walsh walking into room 314. Um, sure. Very ominous and, you know, something particularly terrifying about what's behind that door. It makes me think of um, room, like, 237 in The Shining. Like, you know, yeah. that, that there's something <laughs> sure. significant about that room, what's behind that door. Um you know, and, and the delayed gratification of wondering what's back there. Mm. Yeah, no, so, I mean, definitely, right, and you never know with Ethan, like, what what is he saying that's true or not, but, yeah. like, but it's important to remember that he doesn't just work on lies, right? You know, every lie has a modicum of truth or even more yeah. truth to it, and maybe it's just one little thing that's the lie of it, you know, yeah. so, like, I think seeing that at the end sort of validates what he says, that there is something happening in the demon world where, you know, they are afraid of something. And, and you know, he talks about, he talks about it in a way almost like, almost in a sort of Star Wars way, right? Like, you know, things are going to be out of balance, like almost yeah. like a dualistic, you know, like there there's a balance between good and evil and the Slayer is, you know, someone who, maybe helps maintain that balance but like somehow the initiative is going to throw that out of balance but we don't again we don't know what way like maybe yeah. that's in a good way or maybe you know just because it's fearful the demons you know maybe that's not so bad for humans <laughs> you know what i mean like right so there's there's also like the sense that right because buffy's fearful to, to for demons too you know like you know that that seems generally to be a good thing things that demons are yeah. scared of is usually the good guys um right but there's still you can't help that note of 
ominousness, you know, of, of maybe the, 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 the methods more than the ends. Like, even if the ends are good, like the demon controlling, again, we've talked about like how, you know, and, and Walsh kind of says like her, the main difference between Buffy and the initiative is in their methods, you know, so what kind of, with all this kind of stuff of scientific experimentation and control, it, it, even if the, the, the goal is to keep demons under control and to save lives, you still have to wonder what's going on behind that room. You know, what kind of yeah. methods are they using, which are so terrifying to the demons and everything. Right. Um, yeah. We'll it's see. a curiosity. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, also, I guess last thing with them too, I was uh, kind of noticing of the fact that we don't really see what happens to Spike at the end, that he kind of, you know, for an extra hundred bucks, keeps the tail so that Giles can go off and confront Ethan, you know, so he's got the, the Humvees chasing him and everything, and he ends sure. up crashing the car, um, and and we don't see, you know, where he goes after that, and I did have to wonder, did he get recaptured by the initiative? Um, I guess we'll find out, but um, given all this stuff about Room 314 and demons being so terrified of what's back there, dare I say I'm a little worried about Spike? <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's, yeah, who knows? I, I mean, yeah, no, that's good to notice. Um, we'll we'll see what comes of it if anything comes of it you know mm -hmm. it may be that he got out and run away or it may be that yeah. he got picked up we don't know at this point um but definitely good to to sort of bring that up um so the other thing about spike actually while we're just talking about him is we also get um that he's moving out of xander's finally right like yeah he's he's he, you know, again, Looking we see this progression. Looking for less dark and dank than Xander's basement. Yeah, like a crypt. Yeah. Um, we, uh, you know, we see this progression of Spike. Like, it's not even, you know, it's one of those things of, of you know, keep your friends close and your enemies closer, right? It's right. like Spike is now no longer even a threat. That They don't even need to, like, keep 24-7 eyes on him. Like, right. any of this. Like, it's not even that, like, the least dangerous Scooby needs to keep eyes on him. It's like, right. yeah, we don't even really care where you go now. Like, yeah. just go. go get In your fact, own I don't place, even want yeah. you here anymore. Go go get your own place. So, like, yeah. he's just so completely not... Uh, and apparently that must be what he was doing when, um, like, Giles came along. Like, he was inspecting crypts to move into. Like, that's the sense that you get. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's out shopping for a yeah, new place. He, yeah, right. He's, they don't, I guess they don't have a real estate agent that specializes in that, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, he's kind of going scouting locations or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of funny that, yeah, like, um, and then <laughs> I love that, like, he's, like, taking Xander's radio, and Xander gets upset, and he's like, what do you expect? I'm evil. <laughs> like, this is the, the evil he's been reduced to is petty larceny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And, and not even, like, he's not even trying to conceal it. He's just like, yeah, I'm just taking this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then Anya trying to give him... Uh, Xander's land. Yeah, I read about it. <laughs> Gift is traditional. I've read about it. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, we don't get a whole lot from Xander and Anya this time. Like, a couple good, like, Xander's, yeah. you know, his kind of fear of 
the Giles demon and Anya, you know, again, like those little social awkward moments, like, you know, giving the lamp and, um, right. You know, so. And saying she's bored. We talked about this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. They like, they've already talked about the fact that you oh, can't right. say yeah, stuff like that. Please continue your story. <laughs> <laughs> And, of course, Giles, at that point, has no interest no. in continuing. Um, no, yeah, I, I don't think, I mean, with all the, the Giles and Buffy and Walsh and yeah. Ethan stuff, I mean, that's that's pretty minor. But uh, just um, that they're still kind of together and they're still, you know, yeah. Anya and, and Xander are. And Anya expresses her own dissatisfaction of living of Xander's living in his parents' basement. Um, yeah. We don't know where Anya's living at this point. Like, we don't really get no. any data about her, but um, no. not that it's important necessarily, just kind of throw that out there. But yeah. uh, uh, Willow and Tara, Yeah. we do get a little bit about, though. We do. Yeah, that Willow is uh, lying to Buffy about where you she picked goes. picked up on that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, well... So the first time it's like, okay, Willow's at the library, and the, but that's before the surprise party. So, you know, she comes in and interrupts, and, and it was a lie because she was, you know, the tricking Buffy into the party. But later, um, yeah, she tells Buffy she's, you know, going at the chem lab by herself. She makes sure to say, by myself. Yep. Um, yep. And tells her the magic that she's practicing. So she's honest about that, um, but not the fact that she was with Tara. Um, so yeah, there's something about that relationship that she's not ready to share with. And, you know, I, I, I've stumbled over how, you know, much to go over about the Tara Willow relationship, um, because there's a certain amount that I'm spoiled for just living in the world and, you know, probably, sure. you know, most people, you know, at this point, you know, know a certain amount you know other than I don't I don't necessarily know where it's going but um it, I think even if I didn't and I wasn't spoiled of you know the Tara Willow thing it, it's definitely pretty explicit at this point the the connection between you know the kind of magic that they're practicing and how sort of sensual it is you know that like you know yeah. it's it's you know with with the rose and the petals right. and it's all right. about synchronicity and <laughs> and delicacy and everything and even like you know the moment where you know Will is explaining very calmly what they're gonna do and then and and Tara's like okay okay um or, or wait what's the line it's something about um hold on I have it right here um oh she says we're gonna start out slow that's what it is and Tara says okay Willow start out slow doing what so there's that that kind of moment yeah. of what yeah. are we talking about <laughs> you know right 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 like, like you know are we still yeah. talking about magic Stopping i'm still talking about magic you know question yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and even just the fact that like <laughs> i'm talking how, about magic. yeah um so even just the fact that of how kind of uh delicately they're going about it and they're using the rose you know as their kind of prop and everything mm. Um, mm -hmm. you know, just sort of hinting in that direction and, and hinting at maybe why Willow is keeping this on the down low, that there's, you know, something about it, which, you know, maybe taboo is the wrong word, but like, it's private, 
that there's like an aspect. It's not just, this isn't just the Wicca group that she's going to make friends with. That this is someone who she is, you know, you know, more connected with, I guess. And wanting yeah. to treat it with more sort of privacy and delicacy and stuff. And and I would say, like, that even at this point, like, I, like I think that Willow isn't even quite sure what it is. Well, like, well right, right, yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's not even it's that not even she that wants... It's not even that explicit, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't even say that, like, taboo or anything, but, like, it it's that... That, yeah, that she's just like, well, here's someone else who knows magic and so and that I'm drawn to for some reason. And so I've, you know, maybe read about this thing that requires skill and whatever. And so, like, I, you know, on the one hand, I think you're right. We are sort of, like, Tara inserts that question, I, you know, and the writers, you know, Jane yeah. Espenson or perhaps Joss Whedon inserted or whatever, like... To be very explicit, like, yes, we should be questioning, like, what exactly are we talking about here? Yeah. But on the other hand, I totally can see sort of the, you know, Willow is just thinking about it of like, oh, I want to build my magic skills. And here's a here's a spell that requires two people. And, you know, it takes dexterity and it, you know, takes gentleness and whatever which you know normally all of the spells that i've done so far are just kind of like boom you know here is the yeah. spell that happened so like i can see her sort of approaching it in that sort of very academic kind of way as well yeah so, no i think so too um yeah so like i but i think you're right like there is something like the fact that she lies you know to buffy about who she was with or whether she was with anybody like does kind of seem like there's something there that's making her hesitant and and making her question sort of the nature of her own motives or desires or relationship you know with Tara at this point anyway too so i think i think that's all right uh -huh. i just it's it's very i mean it is hard to talk about it not knowing where it's going so Hey. <laughs> hey. All right. Sorry about that. I don't know if that was me or what, but... I have no idea. Um, I did notice that it was kind of cutting in and out a little bit. I don't know okay. if you noticed that on your end at all. Just once or twice. Um, but, I mean, I'm at my brother's house. I don't I don't have a hard wire. So, okay. Um, all right. We can keep going. It seems to be all right for now. Yeah. Uh, basically, I was just saying... Where I just finished out the sentence saying, yeah, that basically Willow doesn't seem to know where it's going yet at this point, but that she does seem to be hesitating for some reason. So it's worth pointing that out like you did. So yeah, um, no, I'll just pick I, up. I, I'll just, I was going to say, I'll just pick up from there. Okay. Um, so yeah, anyway, I think uh, it's worth pointing all that out and. Um, Darn it. We can see where that goes. I mean, like you said, kind of knows where it goes. And I would be surprised if you didn't know anything about Willow and Tara, you know, sure. knowing anyone who has sort of run across Buffy, I'm sure, has come across at least the names as sort of the two of them being mentioned together. So, um, you know, yeah, no, where and that's that goes. more, I don't want to make it 
explicit before the show does and that's why I think like it, it it's not necessarily explicit in that the characters are it's not like they're you know I don't I don't think the characters are thinking of the relationship that way necessarily but that there is uh like you're saying like still a kind of hesitant and you know unsure quality about you know what exactly their connection is so but yeah I don't think it's like they're trying to seduce each other or anything you know I think they are connecting over the magic um mm. you know that seems to be primary at this point sure um yeah anything I uh, you know we kind of skated over Buffy and Riley I don't know that there's a huge amount other than that kind of fight scene you know and and where Riley gets a glimpse of really how powerful Buffy is um, the where they're sparring you mean yeah 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 fight not like an argument but like their their physical fight um which we could have told him that but he didn't really know necessarily and he gets you know a lot more information than he had about I love how they're proud of his 17 kills and captures. And they're like, how many have you killed? And Buffy's like, um, too many to count? Like, I don't know yeah. what the right answer to this question is, you know. Um, and she's deal dealt with plural and ap apocalypsi or whatever it would be. Apocalypses, yeah. Apocalypses or something. So, um, um, so, yeah, he's getting more of a sense of she's the big leagues you know he's yeah. been thinking of himself and the initiative is the big leagues but mm -hmm. buffy does on her own more than what the initiative does altogether so yeah. um yeah and right in that moment like i'm you know i i think it's like yeah like half what you were saying that buffy can't really tally <laughs> up how many because it's she just one she hasn't really been keeping track but two it's right. a lot right um but also like i also get in that moment the sense of like that she's holding back there too so there's the yeah. there's sort of the physical holding back but there's yeah. also that moment that seems like she's holding back and and to willow's point you know later that you can't be less than you are you know so yeah. she does kind of reveal at least to riley i don't know if she reveals this to walsh or not we don't get um like it, it seems like it's later, you know. Yeah. Uh, when she sort of tells him the different stories and stuff, and yeah, I'm finding myself needing to know what the plural of apocalypse is. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I like that. He's like, well, well, when I thought you saved the when when I saw you save the world, I just thought that was a big day for you. Right. Right. Like that's the but that's like, you know, we talked. I mean, we talked about the episode Doomed and how. It, like it, it's really one of the lighter episodes, and it does deal with an attempt of the apocalypse. You know, like that's really no big deal in terms yeah. of the scale of what Buffy has faced. You know, so, um, so yeah, no, all all good stuff. That you know, but like also, I think it's good that you know at the end he's like, I like that. You know, I like that you're strong and that you're, yep. you know able to take care of yourself and that you know like it's not it's where some guys would be scared away by that sort of thing like yeah. riley is okay with the fact that she's physically stronger than him and has more accomplishments and has been doing this sort of thing longer right um you know so uh you know you're in charge you you make the plan you execute the plan no one giving you orders i like it um yeah. but give me another week 
<laughs> you know, to get ready. Um, yeah, like, he like, likes it, it, but it's still, he likes the challenge of it, too. Like, sure. he wants to learn from her and be challenged by it, you know, so there's, like, you know, he's not threatened by it in, like, a, you know, you know, it doesn't does, scare him off or make him feel bad, but it wants right. it makes him want to rise closer to her level, sure. you know. So, yeah, good. Yep. At least that's what he says. I mean, that's what he says. Yeah, we'll that's see. what we're hearing. And and I mean, I think. And it takes given, him a couple, a little bit to get used to it. Like he does seem kind of shaken when she like gives him that really big kick, you know. Yeah. You know, so he has to he has to think about it a little bit, but yeah, at the end he seems to be positive. So, well, and, and I was just going to say, I mean, you know, I think we've learned to see Riley as not, not in the way that Cordy just says what she's thinking, but you know, Riley's an honest guy. Like he's not yeah. going to be misleading her in that respect. You know what I yeah. mean? Like if he wasn't okay with it, it seems like he would, he would say, yeah, he would either say it or at least you would, notice some sort of dissonance in sure. what he's saying um and yeah. that just doesn't seem to be the way he is so it definitely yeah. seems like he he actually is okay with that so yeah um good stuff i cool. i think i may have mentioned this before but i i think we've seen riley enough now that um if i haven't i should say now that there are actually quite a few people who don't like riley yes like, you have mentioned okay. that yeah and and a lot of a lot of the criticism is against sort of his um, perceived like stiltedness and lack of passion and this and that and the other thing. I don't know. I I've never had a problem with him. I mean, I I understand why people like Buffy Angel relationship and yeah. and you know that sort of thing. But I don't know. I I like Riley, so I I'm maybe not even in the majority, but <laughs> I seem to think uh, you know he's a good yeah. match for her at least at this point. So yeah. Anyway, yeah. I just throw that out there. Yeah. We can see, continue to see how their relationship develops, but yeah, I mean, I think like I I get that. I think there's a kind of maybe slightly bland boy next door quality to him, sure. but again, I don't know that that's a bad thing, you know, because from what we can see, he is honest and he is nice and positive and supportive, and all these are all good things. So. You know, he's not the bad boy that we've seen Buffy with before, but, you know, and that might be a less kind of hot thing to watch on TV, but, like, for, like you said, for where she is, that seems to be what she needs, and he seems to be the right kind of person for yeah. her. Um, he's not doing anything wrong, so, you know. I'm cool with Riley for now. <laughs> All right. Well, with all of that said, yeah. Let's move on to Doctor Who. Okay. To the doctor, we're going to talk about the doctor's wife. Doctor's wife. In which there is no wife. Uh, uh no literal wife. No literal uh, wife. I, 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 you know, it depends on how you want to interpret the word wife. Uh huh. All right. Well, let's go on to production notes because I think you have some. I and do. Then, I'll try to go through we'll, them fast. And then we'll we talk about that. Um, <laughs> I know these are two episodes where it's yeah. clear it's not, we're, we're going to go, go over time. Yeah. We are, um, we are. All right. So, really quickly, 
we need to acknowledge Neil Gaiman, um, who's well known for a lot of other things. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and um, someone, you know, of the same kind of stature, like a coup for the show to get kind of like Richard Curtis was um, to get like a celebrity writer for an episode. But, um, you know, whereas Richard Curtis doesn't really have any Doctor Who connections, was known as it. So you're getting more, you know, like he's a really well-known screenwriter that you're getting his take on Doctor Who here, Neil Gaiman, who's written some scripts, but mostly known for his novels um, and graphic novels and stuff, um, short mm -hmm. stories, um, you know, more for what he brings to the mythology of Doctor Who, that this is someone who grew up, you know, watching it. So you're getting the same level of fan input from him that you would from Moffat or Davies. You know, again, someone who's been sitting around for almost 50 years, you know, imagining the world and what he would add to it. So you're getting sure. a very myth-heavy, you know, kind of take on the story. Um, so this was this, and so actually he's written two scripts so far. So this is the first. So we're going to get another one next season. Um, mm. But uh, this was the one which was originally written for series five, um, but was held back. I mean, for obvious kind of budgetary reasons, there's a lot of special effects in this one and, you know, big sets and everything. Um, so, you know, that gave him a few advantages. He got to watch Matt Smith's first season, so he could throw in things and tailor it to him more so than he would have been able to otherwise. Um, and he also got to rewrite to include Rory because... Rory would have been erased, you know, in the first draft of the script. So he mm. had to sort of rework that. Um, uh, you know, okay, well, I kind mentioned... Of like, like we talked about with Somnambulist and having to rewrite it for, for Wesley, for Wesley and, exactly and Doyle's like absence and that. Yep, yeah. yep, exactly like that. Um, so, um, so a, a few interesting things about the title, which we can talk about, um, the, the kind of bait-and-switch of the title. Um... Some other possible title, titles were, first it was called The House of Nothing, um, and then he said for most of it, it was called Bigger on the Inside. Um, mm. But I think they wanted to let it be a bit of a surprise, the focus on the TARDIS. So they kind of, you know, took away some of, the, you know, some of that, um, you know, by changing the title. Um, the Doctor's Wife was actually um, a code which the producers used in the 80s. They suspected they had a production leak who was kind of telling secrets of the stories to the press. So to kind of try to suss out who the leak was, they had a fake script or a fake title maybe. Um, you know, cause, and, and they deliberately picked like an inflammatory title, you know, which would be sure to be leaked. You know, so with all the kind of controversy of the doctor's um, sexuality or lack thereof, you know, they knew the doctor's wife would be sure to be grabbed by any sort of sneak in the production team. So that was mm -hmm. the title that they used. So that was one which had kind of hovered around, you know, the show for a long time, you know, that you might have an episode called this. Um, so kind of playing with that. And then obviously, you know, there is the kind of, allusion to the stuff we've had this season about the doctor's um, family relationships, you know, and, you know, 
wives and children and and this ongoing mystery of River and what's her relationship to him so it kind of teases with that but obviously doesn't do anything with it um, and uh, the I just want to mention to the the makeshift TARDIS that they build was designed by a Blue Peter winner so this is from the same kind of competition that gave us the absorbable off <laughs> with better results this time. I think rather yeah. than let them design the monster, they said, okay, kids, you can design a TARDIS. So, um, so a girl, uh, got to do that. Um, and, uh, I also want to mention, I want to talk a, a bit about the fact that we get to see the old TARDIS console room, the ninth and 10th doctors, um, TARDIS, um, because, Gaiman wanted to do something on an old TARDIS console and they actually he asked them to hold it back so for like a year and a half they had this set sitting around and people would ask why haven't you gotten rid of that yet and they'd say well you know it's cheaper to just keep it up than to ha pay to have it destroyed or whatever um, yeah. but so like he specifically knew that he wanted to use that so they didn't tear it down for all that time um, and then finally um, some reception things. This is definitely a huge fan favorite. Um, it won the, tw it, it's the winner of the 2012 Hugo um, and the 2011 Ray Bradbury Award, which is a Nebula Awards thing, um, and also got an SFX Award for screenwriting. Um, and on the Doctor Who magazine poll, the most recent one, it's number 37. So a big, you know, a big fan favorite and a lot of times when you see lists of best episodes this is high up there um so do you right. agree did did it did it i know I, I know there is the bait and switch which is why i did want to say like keep your mind open about <laughs> the kind of mythology it gets into because it's myth heavy but not necessarily in the way you expect um, right. Given right. what we've had in the season so far. Yeah. Um, and the title is a total. It. I. I don't. I don't want to say it's a total red herring because I think the title tells you, you think everything there is you some need to know. Justification. Absolutely, I do. But. But it's deliberately misleading. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So. Sure. Go ahead it's... and give me your reaction. No. No. I. Okay. So I mean, obviously it's a bait and switch, but uh, yeah. you know, I did that didn't. Like the story is a good one, so I mean, I don't, I don't want to see like, it. yeah, yeah, that's, and honestly, I think we've talked about this before. Like nine times out of ten, I don't even know that I know the title Pay when I'm watching. To the title. Yeah. So where, which, you know, there are certainly titles that give away more in the episode, yeah, than this one certainly does. So yes. you know, like, I, I don't. I mean, I'm not that. Here's what I knew. So we were just talking about Tara and Willow and kind of what you know about yeah. them. Here's what I knew because yeah. I'm a big fan of Neil Gaiman. And, and yeah. of course I knew that he wrote an episode of Doctor Who. Um, and I knew that it was titled uh, The Doctor's Wife. And yeah. I knew that the TARDIS becomes or was put into or had something to do with being a woman yeah. in the episode. Yeah. Um, obviously, I didn't have any clue about how all of that played out. Yeah. Uh, but those are the things that I knew going into it. So there are obvious, you know, sort of things that I could have assumed or 
sure. considered would have been safe bets with that. Um, and actually, I guess in a way, I wasn't that far off because there is, uh, you know, there is the line from Amy, I think it is, who says, you know, I don't know if I wrote it down exactly, but, uh, you know, something along along the lines of, uh, you know, you're you're always with it's always you and her right mm-hmm. you know going through space and it's yeah. you know after the rest of us are gone yeah it's always it's always you and her so there is that sense of you know she's she is the doctor's most constant companion yeah um, which is a, what a spouse is right i mean yeah. that that's sort of the idea behind being a spouse um i also of course thought of you know, the word wife coming from sort of the old English word for just woman. Mm -hmm. So it's, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there is that sense of she's the doctor's woman, but not that sounds kind of bad in the way that our language uses it. But like thinking of that moment where he says my TARDIS and she says my doctor, doctor. like there is that, you know, it's not a possessive my, I mean, literally it's a possessive pronoun, but like it's, it's not a possessive in the, in the respect that, you know, I own you, but it is yeah. possessive in, in the idea of you're the one I want to be with. And, and you know, you get that certainly be, with the, the idea of her calling him thief. You know, my thief. <laughs> my thief yeah. yeah, like not in a bad way even. You're my thief. You're the one who took me. Yeah. Um, and she let him take her. Yeah. Like, you know, she stole we, him. We, get, yeah. we get this whole idea of, right, that she stole him as much as he stole her, yeah. which is a very sort of matrimonial uh idea yeah um after just coming off of my second brother's wedding a week ago like Mm -hmm. i mean that certainly you know is is sort of an idea that you get of that you know there's a choosing of each other i mean it's never at least hopefully not in this day and age um I shouldn't say never because of I'm yeah. at least in our sort of Western democratic society, it's not, you know, a, an option of just one person choosing another. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's a mutual decision and that's mm-hmm. sort of the ideal behind it anyway. Um, so. I can understand a rationalization for the title yeah. even though it doesn't cease to be a bait and switch. No, r- it doesn't. Despite that. It doesn't. And it, it doesn't. <laughs> It, it it doesn't confirm or deny or contradict other relationships he might have, you know, like no, it, no. it doesn't it doesn't really All right, let's talk about the river song in the room, because that's what we're thinking. Sure. That's what yeah. we're I mean. Or or the or the theoretical spouse that may have given him the, the children at some point. You know, so it doesn't Or or the you know, fact that he presumably may be married Marilyn Monroe, you know, like, you know, and Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. yeah, It it is a bait and switch in the sense that it hints that it's going to delve into those relationships and and doesn't, but you know, so in that sense, it's the mislead, but I do think I do still prefer this title because that's what this episode ends up being about is what is really the central relationship in the doctor's life, which is the relationship to his TARDIS. You know, that is the constant, you know, doctor always has companions, but it's not always the same companion, you know, you know, and there's, there's other timelines and there's monsters. He springs home strays, you know, but you know, this is really the, 
the, the without which not like this is the there's no doctor without his TARDIS you know yeah. and it really makes explicit you know I mean Gaiman's very clever but it's not like he's the first one to ever realize this stuff like I think what's clever about it is he sits there and says okay you know I'm gonna my episode's gonna make obvious the thing which has always been true which is that this is the love of the doctor's life mm. and this is clearly the most important relationship that he has um but it, it, it's not like you needed this episode to tell you that necessarily like pretty early on in our viewing we were saying half the things and you were saying like without my telling you you know uh, most of the things that they talk about in this episode like things like um like that the, they the don't go that, to where he yeah like I, you to go. didn't always yeah. take me where i needed where i wanted to go no but i always took you where you needed to go you yeah. know that there's an intelligence behind the randomness you know that sometimes the tardis does things on its own you know and not because of like a technological glitch but because they need to be somewhere you know mm -hmm. and that there's something intelligent behind that you know and just the fact that like you know it's in the first season with Chris Eccleston that they he explicitly talks about the fact that the TARDIS is alive and that she has a soul you know um and you know has a certain amount of control and opinion about things you know um we've never had her walking around and talking necessarily but you know that's kind of been in there and it's been in there in the classic series too you know so I like that he just takes that you know again that kind of fan fiction element of mm -hmm. I've been sitting here thinking all this for the past like 40 years so let's make it build an episode around that and sure. and make that like canon I guess and, and if the TARDIS could talk yeah. what would she say mm -hmm. you know um, and and I like that she's as mad and you know crazy talks as, he as is. much yeah. and yeah um, <laughs> I love what you I'm the TARDIS no you're not you're a bitey mad lady bitey <laughs> like, mad lady you, yeah. you know it's like well the two aren't actually mutually incompatible yeah <laughs> clearly yeah. and in fact it seems like it's actually appropriate that you are both <laughs> yeah um, so yeah no I no and uh, and she she plays with incarnation and having a body much the way that he does when he regenerates that she's trying mm. things out like almost like you know kissing him and biting him is kind of equivalent to his tasting of food and spitting it out trying mm. to find what and like when they ha when they have the mirror in the little makeshift TARDIS she's playing with her face and like poking and pulling and stuff trying to figure out like how does it yeah. work yeah. Um, so there's a similarity to their personalities, you know. No, I, I like that when, like, the uncle's like, you know, be careful, she bites. And she's like, oh, I do? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. like, like, this is something I do. Yeah. I'm going to go do it right Excellent. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's, it's, all, it's all fun and good. And, no, I did like the episode. Um, you know, even though, yes, of course, I was not expecting it to be uh, the, the thing that it came out as. But, mm -hmm. uh it, it was very good nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, so, um, definitely, like, I mean, so on, on a normal week, we just watch 
you know, these episodes twice each anyway. But, like, this one, you, I feel like I could watch it four more times and yeah. probably not get even as much as is in there. Um, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's one of those every single line is significant yeah. kind of episodes. And, yeah. And definitely insofar as, like, the, oh, you're going to need that later. So, like, I didn't even remember at the end when... Um, or towards the end when, you know, Rory and Amy are trying to get into the old control room, uh, the, the, the word for the smell. Petrichor. Yeah. yeah. Like, I didn't even remember that she said that, you yeah. know, early yeah. in the episode. And then watching it through, I'm like, oh, oh. And then she's like, you'll need that later. I'm like, well, she tells you right yeah. there up front that you're yeah. going to need it later. Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and the, and the little boxes will make you angry, and um, yeah, yeah, stuff like you that. Know? And then she she starts with goodbye, and she finishes with hello, yep. like all those yep. little right. time I like that. loops, like... and well, and what a great idea that she gets confused about sequence, you mm -hmm. know, because she exists in this timelessness, and so you have stolen me, you you. You will steal me. You are stealing me. Tenses are difficult, you know, like trying to figure out what mm -hmm. order do things happen in. And she's yeah. always kind of confused. Yeah. Um, and, and two, the, the really subtle one, too, is um, we might as well mention her kind of uh, little thing at the end of the only water in the forest is the river, um, mm -hmm. which we still don't know what that means. And she says, you'll need that someday. Um, but when she sort of... Uh, dying at the end and and you hear uh asking rory for water i wonder if that's what she's trying to say is talking about the only water in the forest is the river and yeah. he thinks she's asking for water and then you hear him saying like there's i don't understand there's not a forest in here so those little tiny little clues mm. of things of what she's talking about um so yeah like definitely like what this is one of those every time you watch it you pick up on something new kind of yeah Scripts. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I was struggling in when we were talking about the order to go in. <laughs> speaking of, you know, what yeah. order to go, you know, how things are, and it was really hard because you. I mean, partly because of that, because yeah. you get so many of these things like sort of throughout that it's they're really well sort of integrated in yeah. with the story. Um, but I guess just. I, so, all right, let's talk about the thief stuff because this isn't this isn't the first time that we've heard that he's stolen the TARDIS. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We we he's mentioned before that he's stolen or borrowed or whatever yeah. the TARDIS. <laughs> um, I like that line where you know he goes, "I borrowed." You know, she stole the Doctor, and then he goes, "I borrowed you," and she says, "Borrowing implies the intention to return the thing that was taken." And immediately you think she's yeah. saying, you know him about stealing the TARDIS. And right. then she goes, what makes you think I would ever give you back? Yeah. And that's because, I mean, it is interesting because like, I, I, I like what you said before that, like really the central relationship in the story, it almost like the whole series should almost be really more accurately titled Doctor Who and the TARDIS. Like, right, right, you know, right. like it's not just that it's the doctor. Right. Boy in it's, a box off to see the universe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm a bad man with a box without a box. <laughs> like, but that actually kind of describes really well, you know, yeah. the problem that he's having. And even though he's, I mean, with the TARDIS there in the moment, like she's about to die. So of course you have to get her back and yeah. all of that. Like, but that it, it's like, 
how can he be the madman with a box if he doesn't have his box? Like, that just makes no sense. So he must go find a box um, to do that. the, you know, so the whole the whole like stealing thing, like we get this idea of her stealing him and and not wanting to give him up anymore. Right. But even just thinking about like all the episodes, like there are so many episodes where where the the sort of plot is crap. We have to find the TARDIS because it's not here, or right, or right, not right. even the plot. But like in order to get to the resolution, you end right. up having to, or you know, it's someone somehow brings it along to them or what but i mean like even seminal episodes like um you know just thinking about like uh the satan pit and Mm -hmm. and that like i mean the whole reason they go down is because where did the tardis go it got you know it's down in this pit or um like father's day like they have to get the tardis but they can't leave you know the church and and go find it so he has to figure out how to bring it there and yeah you know um you know, and and a bunch of different. I mean, you know, sometimes the TARDIS gets taken, and sometimes, you know, it's just in a really inconvenient spot for them. Or, right, or you like, know, or like, like Blink, it's in the future, and he needs Sally to send it back yeah, so that he can yeah, get out. Another yeah. another good example. So, so there's just all the like stuff where when you're watching those episodes, like okay, yes, it's notable, but it feels like such a plot device. But yeah. then, sort of in in aggregate. And looking back on it from an episode like this, where you're talking about his relationship to the TARDIS, you realize like how much of his who he is is defined by that yeah. with a box. You know, yeah, it's, right. it's it, it 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 really becomes, um, you know, that that central idea of of the only reason he can do many of the things that he does is yeah. because of the TARDIS. Yeah. Um, and so, even though. Even though, like, you can say that, you know, I think I, I think you could recognize that to some degree without an episode like this. To have an episode like this that completely focuses on that and and you know makes it uh, really super explicit yeah. about you know that relationship and gets you thinking about that. I think really, I, I like that. I like that. That's uh, yeah. You know, it that's kind part of, of it. puts everything in a new light, sort of. And like you said, like it's, it doesn't really change anything. It's not something you couldn't have realized on your own. But having it sort of presented to you this explicitly makes you then almost reconsider everything you've seen so mm-hmm. far, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, then, and then, of course, I mean, like we were saying, you know, the, the opposite idea of, you know, she is the one who stole him just as much yeah. as the other way around. Like... You do get this idea of, I mean, we we know, I mean, he's a singular Time Lord, and not just because he's the only one left, but literally yeah. because, you know, that's part of it. But but part of the reason he is the only one left is because he's been willing all along to do things that none of the other Time Lords have yeah. ever done, and so you get sort of, the, you know, because it's this sort of uh, reciprocation, uh-huh. uh, you know, between him himself and the TARDIS, stealing each other, so to speak. Like, you get the idea that this TARDIS is also unlike all of the others as right, well. Right, um, right. Right. She wanted to see the universe. And, right. And he was the only one mad enough to go with her, so she exactly. picked him. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I like that. Like, I like that idea of, you know, that she's in it for sort of the pure joy of, you know, yeah. the tourist and all of that. Yeah. Um, 
just as much as as he is. Uh, and then, of course, the sadness being that just like he is the last Time Lord, like it seems like she is the last or one of the last Tardises yeah. around. I mean, yeah. we see the, the destruction. Um, and, of course, she didn't cause it in the same way, but we don't, I guess, I forget, didn't we get in an episode somewhere like the name of the planet or whatever where they grew? Oh, and that Tardises grow, so we right. knew the alive Thing. Yeah, I don't know if the planet has a name or not, but yeah, yeah, that there's something kind of organic and sentient about them. Yeah. Um, but like, but also that it was sort of the Time Lords who. Right. Well, okay, and, and so this is where we get into struggle with sort of the words we use, right? So there's TARDIS that means like the entity within the mm. TARDIS, the right. matrix or the soul or whatever of the TARDIS. Yeah. Um, but then there's also, like, the TARDIS that's, like, the physical construction of yeah. that houses that entity. Um, and so, like, it, and it, and then, of course, the, they seem to be symbiotic because the TARDIS rebuilds itself. And there's, like, you know, all of right. these uh, interconnecting, you know, rooms that can be created and deleted and remodified yeah. and, right. you know... Uh, which we already knew. Like, I mean, we got that in yeah. at the beginning of season five with right. the regeneration of the TARDIS, and it takes some time to. And we don't know the pool could be in the library. We don't know where it's <laughs> right, going right. to end up. Like, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, just that. Um, anyway, yeah, going back to like that idea of like that she is sort of one of the last ones, or at least one of the last ones to have been harvested, built taken i don't yeah, know what don't, kind of the... i don't know if we ever get like where they're grown like if there's if that's a separate planet that the time lords just sort of but i always get the sense that the time lords or the tardis has come with the time lords that and that was going to be my point was yeah. that like like yeah like by sort of sealing off all of the time lords you also seal it, it seems like you also sealed off sealed all off the of tardises. the tardises whether yeah. Whether that's true or not, whether it was a different planet or something, like, that seems that to be the case. That seems to be the implication, I think. And so now you also get, you know, get this idea that, um, you know, there's all these TARDISes and Time Lords who have been sort of lured to this planet mm -hmm. and, and are all dead now as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's a good point, that she is the last of her kind, that, you know, just as you know, the doctor's sort of mourning his people who are gone. You know, you have the TARDIS looking out, and I'm, I love that moment of, are you thinking what I'm thinking? You know, I'm thinking that I'm looking at all my dead sisters, that their <laughs> corpses were devoured. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't thinking that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, totally not what I was thinking. He's thinking junkyard, you know, yeah. like he's thinking. Yeah, yeah but, scrapyard, we can build a new thing. Yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, right. No, but again, if they're alive to her, that's her people, you know. Yeah. Um, House has devoured them and cut them up, and destroyed them in the same way that he's cut up and destroyed those time lords as well. Well, I I wanted to talk about that because there's and we're going we're all over the map on this that's one, okay. and I and I feel like it's just the, the nature kind of, of the episode. The map, so. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that because. You know, you get this, so, you know, uncle and auntie and nephew, I guess. Although nephew just is like a nude, so I don't know that he was rebuilt from any parts or anything. 
Um, <laughs> but the you do get this sense of you have auntie and uncle anyway who are you know rebuilt from human parts. Yeah. Uh, and that's what the doctor does. With the TARDIS. He rebuilds yeah, yeah. a TARDIS yeah. from parts of the TARDIS. So like, yeah. I, there's there's. While I don't quite want to make a connection between him and House, yeah. like there is a connection there, kind yeah. of in a way. Like he is doing the same sort of thing, and like, but we, I mean, and we want him to succeed. Like we're glad that he does what he does. Right. But like, there is a sort of grisly, like yeah. when you think about it, as you know, these are all the corpses of my sisters. Right. Uh, you know, there is a sense that that. Yeah, kind of icky. Like yeah. he's taking yeah. parts of these once living creatures and building something living out of it. It's a very Frankensteinish yep. sort of idea to it. Just like these uncle and auntie are kind of Frankenstein's monsters in a way. I mean, they're very yeah. they're made up of pieces of different people, and yeah, it's very weird and. No, Not... the whole yeah, the the and the whole episode has that kind of gothic feel to it, you know. Oh, like sure. it looks that and, way and everything and, and going along with the wife theme, she does sort of have the classic kind of Bride Not of with the tall hair, but Bride yeah. of Frankenstein sort of, you know, look to her yeah. in a way. Um Yeah. I'm No, I agree. Like there is something Yeah, and it's not really it's hard to like say exactly how to feel about it because it's it's you know like you said like it's not like we we judge him for doing that necessarily but there is kind of a slightly creepy association of like the cobbled together TARDIS with the sort of cobbled together people um patchwork people and that it's that it's only it's not meant to live long like the right. people, you know, once house leaves, they die. Yeah. And and this cobbled together TARDIS, once it once they get into the quote real TARDIS, yeah. It's just sort of dissipates. Like yeah. you know, there's no reason to keep it around anymore. So yeah. um I yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like there's like I don't want to make too much of that, but I do want to I, I wanted to make sure we sort of talked about that a little bit because yeah. there is a a strange sort of feeling there. Yeah, and, um, and what the doctor can do, that, like, he has kind of the power to play God a little bit sometimes, that, like, he can, you know, uh, you know, like, again, in, in service of good ends, he can do the kinds of things that the villains can do sometimes, and, and kind of will do that when necessary, and, and that's sometimes a little bit unsettling what he's mm. capable of yeah. um yeah so anyway um it's interesting yeah but no and 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 yeah i mean he's looking at things from sort of like an engineering perspective like oh good you know scrapyard i can yeah. you know put this stuff together and 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 i don't want to make too much of it because in a sense that is what it is so like even though it might be the corpses of her dead sisters, like, mm -hmm. on the other sense, like, she's outside of the mechanical, you know, TARDIS. Right. So, like, 
there is a sense of you know almost a duality you know sort of the the the, the classic you know dual nature of mind and and matter right of that she is something separate from yeah. that which uh you know she appears to be so, so to speak so yeah it reminds me of the debate that the doctor and rose have in the unquiet dead about whether to let the guilt use the corpses you know for their guests you know like mm. this is like the doctor says it's like organ donation like you know like that these people need it and nobody's using these bodies so why not you know and rose yeah. finds that kind of disturbing and you know icky um i think you could kind of have the same argument here you know like you know if the if these tardises are dead and these are their parts you know is it kind of like organ donation or is it kind of like creating you know a, a frankenstein new life um yeah yeah. Yeah. And I mean, um, so the other piece of that is that, of course, he he builds the mechanical thing, but he can't get it to work. Right. There's no power. There's no power. Well, it doesn't need power. What it needs is part of her. Yeah. Right. Part of the soul. Part yeah. of the, you know, some some spark, the living flame, you know, yeah. she's like Tolkienian term. Right. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. the 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 you know, the idea that there's that there is some sort of personal yeah. thing that needs to be part of it that's not just mechanical yeah. um anyway yeah which makes sense is, is if the tardises are beings as we've been told then it's not just like you build a car and it goes it needs a, some sort of life inside it to make mm-hmm. it again like frankenstein you know you can put the pieces together but you need the spark of life to make it really alive you know um yeah. Um, uh, sorry, sorry. God. No, no, it's sorry. I, I, I'm struggling where to go from like place to place, so it's like it's taking me longer to think about. Well, uh, I mean, there's a couple other uh, quick little things, like with their quirky little relationship, which I think you know, again, the kinds of things that they would talk about once they finally get to actually talk and meet each other. Um, one being the uh the 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 names that he uses for her um i love that he says do you have a name 700 years finally he asks <laughs> yeah. um and the 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 bit about you know i think you call me sexy only when we're alone we are alone oh well come on then sexy you know yeah. which neil gaiman said he got from the 11th hour that you know when when Matt Smith sees his new TARDIS and says, oh, you sexy thing. Oh, you, you sexy know, that thing. that's yeah, what yeah. he calls her when they're alone. Um, <laughs> you know, and again, later with, you know. Hi, I'm he, sexy. Hi, I'm sexy. <laughs> oh, shut up. You know, um, yeah, again, like hinting at that kind of intimate relationship that they have, mm-hmm. you know, which is, you know, it's just that kind of thing of, oh, you know, guys in their cars, you know, or, 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 or men who always call sailboats by, you know, female names Women's and everything. Name, yeah, There's yeah. that element to it. But, you know, again, this is more than that. This is an actual relationship. So he does kind of, yeah, she's sexy in the way that, that the same way of like his vehicle would be, but like, there's a relationship there. Um, and, and then she kind of likes it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, no, there's, 
Yes. Uh, you know, and it makes me think, too, at the end when um, he's sort of rebuilding the rooms, right? And, and, <laughs> and Amy and Rory want him to not put bunk beds yeah. in their room. Um, because, yeah. you know, there is, it's like, there is this, you know, it's your boudoir. It's, it's, there's an intimacy there of, you know, being in a bedroom with your spouse. And then Rory asked, you know, doctor, do you have a room? You, and he pointedly does not answer. Yeah. And so, you know, the idea being, it seems to me that the entire interior of the TARDIS is, is his, his room. room. And yeah. so... In connection with that idea of of it being a bedroom, of it being a boudoir, is there, yeah. you know, that there's an intimacy, you know, between him and the TARDIS just throughout. Like, it's, yeah. you know, all the way, uh, as big as it is on the inside. Like, you know, he's familiar with it all and, and is yeah. allowed to go anywhere. And, and, you know, that's part of her stealing him and him stealing her, right. you know, right down the middle. So, right. um, right. No, bunk beds are cool. A bed with a ladder. <laughs> you can't fit that. <laughs> Fine. It's your room. Exasperated with it. <laughs> um, and, and another line, which Gaiman specifically wrote in for Matt Smith, you know, having had all the other examples of what he thinks are cool He's right. like, well, I have to add something, you know, and he would love bunk beds, so. Well, and just the, I mean, it's just a hilarious idea that as long as they've been with him on the TARDIS they've now, that they've been sleeping beds. in bunk beds the whole time. Um, yeah, they're even, so sick of it. Yeah, which maybe why they were. Even for their honeymoon, were, presumably. Well, I was going to say, which may be why they went on a different ship for their honeymoon. Right, right. You know, like, uh, get some alone time that isn't in a bunk bed. In a bunk bed. Um, that's yeah. no, that's hilarious. And and yeah, like there's there's always with that. But you know, we talked about before like the his statements about what he thinks are cool. Like yeah. I I don't ever get the feeling that he's being ironical with that. So like no. you have to like think that he actually thinks bunk beds are cool. Yeah. And that it's not that Why he's just would being you not like love this, yeah. Like you get the sense from them that like he's being passive aggressive maybe or or that like or that you could sort of see it as like uh yeah. he doesn't want to sort of let them be really married so to right, speak right but, the whole old no hanky panky in the tardis that's the kind of what people say yeah but it's but on the other hand it's actually like no he might actually think like this is a great gift for them like yeah. oh for your wedding i'm giving you bunk beds because yeah. bunk beds are cool like yeah yeah <laughs> That's um, kind of how I read it, yeah. Is like, right, no, and, and I think that that would be a legit way to read it. But He, I, like, li really doesn't understand why they don't yeah. think this is the Like, he's not thing. just being purposefully obtuse. It's no. it's that he's actually likes these bunk beds and, and yeah. can't understand why anyone would not want a bunk bed. I know, yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, so... Uh, I, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, like, maybe we should talk a little bit, like, we're getting... I know we're we're gonna go over, but we're I was gonna say maybe over. talk a little bit more about Amy and Rory. Are there are there any other um, final thoughts though with the Doctor and the TARDIS? Well, and I guess the, I mean, I just want to mention that last kind of um, kind of goodbye scene that they have, um, or hello scene, like, or hello yeah. scene that, yeah, um, because it's just so 
you know, brilliant. That she's searching the whole episode for this word. You know, this big, yeah. complicated, sad word. Um, you know, that, that she's alive. And he says, alive isn't sad. It's sad when it's over. Mm. You know, um, which again, we've talked so much about in this show, how much of it is about everything has its time, everything dies. Everything, mm. you know, everything has to finish sometime or else nothing else will get started. You know, that as the price of being alive is that someday it won't be anymore. You know, sure. and that's the way it works. So alive is happy, but it won't, you know, it'll be sad when it ends. Um, and that he'll always have the relationship, but this is when we talked. He can't have the TARDIS and have Idris, I guess, at the same time. It has to be one or the other, kind of like, if he wants to be the madman with the box, then she has to leave and they can't talk anymore. You know, so yeah, that kind of such a sad notion that this is his best friend in a way, his closest companion. And but this is the only time they really get to talk to each other. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, the reversal of the starting with goodbye, ending with hello and that just that notion of hello doctor it's so very very nice to meet you that and again in a way that the the most important relationship that he has and they've never really met each other or mm. gotten to tell each other what they mean to each other sure. you know um it's so sad it's such a point and, and i've is. said before for me i don't know why goodbye scenes are sadder than death scenes <laughs> like there's something about the conscious Oh yeah. Knowing this is going to be the last time. Um, of course. And and know. and there's a moment there where he says, "I don't want you to," mm -hmm. which is, I, I don't, I don't know how much of a conscious thing this may have been, but I would find it hard not to have been. It throws you right back to David Tennant saying, "I don't, don't want to go. go." You yeah. know, and 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 the fact that he doesn't even finish it almost yeah. makes it worse. Like he's, yeah. "I don't want you to go." Yeah. No. Like, yeah. like, yeah. what don't you want her to yeah. do? Like, you, yeah. you know, that's what he's gonna say, and so it's yeah. just like that's even worse. And he's kind of sniffling, and you know, yeah, you know, obviously giving clues that others should be doing the same thing. You know, yeah. to, sure. like those yeah. watching. But, um, you know, I mean, it is a very sad moment, and 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 even in that moment right after. Uh, when he's kind of like looking around and kind of like yeah wondering like that's what one now? of the yeah. really one of the few really self-conscious moments like i think yeah. that you really get with the doctor of yeah th there is this extremely intimate hello goodbye whatever you want to call it scene yeah and his two companions are standing there watching it you know what yeah. i mean like it's you know there is that moment that this it almost should have just been the two of them, and and yeah, and, and I don't and, and I don't mean to say that like oh they they made the show wrong or anything. I mean like no, just no, sort but of the, like like in, that you're intruding on something. Yeah, like yeah. like from their perspective, like you almost feel like it's awkward for them too because, I mean, you've seen everyone has sort of been in that situation where it's like should I be here right now yeah. or should I let them have a private conversation or what? Yeah. I don't know what to do. You know what I mean and. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, everyone's sort of also been on the other side of that coin where maybe you're trying to have a private conversation, but you realize there are eyes and ears around that yeah. maybe you can't 
quite be yeah. as private as you would like to be. So, which all of that sort of makes it worse, right? Because they yeah. can't really get the true hello, goodbye that they yeah. want either, you know? Right. So it's just like all of these little things sort of added yeah. together. Um, and I think too for Matt Smith, that's more like emotionally vulnerable than we've seen him be before. Mm. Um, you know, I think we've yeah. seen the doctor. I think we saw Eccleston and Tennant get there at a couple different points, you know. Um, but not so much with Matt Smith yet. Um, I think that's a first kind of for him. Maybe at the end of the Big Bang when he's talking, kind of monologuing to little Amy, you know. But again, he's sort of by himself there. Like, mm. this doctor is you know, very openly enthusiastic. So it's not like he's detached and unemotional, but he's not, he doesn't get, uh, you know, weepy or sad very often. You know, it's, he's more, um, he seems to kind of want to be more like happy and positive and joyful. Like it's not, he doesn't get sure. to a real dark, sad place easily so it's kind of i mean nice for the actor but like pushing the 11th doctor to a more you know and it's sort of like appropriate like you know if you're gonna do it this 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 will do it you know giving him this relationship and then taking it away will kind of get you there um mm. but yeah like i think that's kind of a first for the for this doctor yeah Yep. Um, on that note, quickly before we go to Amy and Rory, I too want to mention the other kind of like the fact that the the another kind of first for the Eleventh Doctor is the fact that the Time Lord Time War stuff is sort of hovering on the periphery of the story. And again, we don't really get there because what he thinks are all these living Time Lords turn out not to be. So right. um, we don't actually really get to confront any of that stuff but it brings it all back up to the surface and i think that's something which you don't really realize until this point but has been much more subdued with the 11th doctor you know that he doesn't he's not yeah. confronted with it all the time like he doesn't have the the recent scars and memories that you know the ninth doctor had and the 10th doctor has kind of reminders of those things like he's dealing with the master or he's dealing with the the possible return of Gallifrey or whatever, like, you know, things that are, you know, or, or Davros or whatever, like, that are confronting and keep bringing it up. Mm. Whereas the 11th Doctor, I feel like it's not behind him, but he's been able to kind of subdue it a bit. Like, we never even really, we get that Amy has been told this, but we don't even really see that happen. It, like, happened right. off screen sometime that he told her what happened. So it's kind of interesting to have that brought back up again. Like, and you kind of realize, oh yeah, there really isn't anything in season five that dealt with that at all. No. Um, you know, so I get, it's nice to have that reminder that it's not forgotten, that it's more sort of, I think he's a little bit more um, healed than he was but that it's still in there you know and you see how excited he gets at the idea that the corsair might be alive or that he might be able to rescue some of his people and or that he might be able to 
find some forgiveness and reconciliation for what happened. So. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I like that line of you just want to be forgiven. And he's like, well, yeah, doesn't everyone like yeah. that's. Uh, yes, I want to be forgiven. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he thinks, and it is it is that interesting thing of, you know, he thinks that if he could just explain it to someone, he can not just convince them, but also, like, convince himself that yeah. it was the right thing to have done. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. And, and... Mr. Gaiman slipping in there the fact that the Corsair can change genders. <laughs> so yes. we've now made an explicit acknowledgement of this fact. Uh, just leaving that out there. He's kind of like, I'm going to put this in in case anybody's interested, you know. So, yeah, Time Lords can become Time Ladies and vice versa. And vice versa. And... Hmm. Very, Good to know. Very interesting. I no, I did, I did notice that. Uh, be interesting to see if that ever actually occurs, but yeah, uh, with Doctor Who anyway. Um, yeah. So yeah, and and that, but also that, like, the Corsair was one of the good ones, right? Yeah. And that, like, it's not just that. You know, he's hopeful of finding Time Lords, but also of finding Time Lords who are not like the Master, who are not. Yeah sort of themselves mad and unreasonable mm -hmm. like uh like Rassilon Tim or Timothy whatever yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and right and sort of drunk with power or whatever because yeah. Um, yeah. there is a sense also like you know with that whole storyline that yes Time Lord Society was great but also that it was sort of like I don't know if decaying is quite the right word, but like yeah. there was a certain uh, uh, um, yeah, hubris, like a, a, you know, yeah, like yeah. you know, in, invading it, yeah. you know, so to speak. So like, but that these that these guys, they were ones who had left. They presumably right. weren't involved in the Time Lord. That's and kind of yeah, yeah. And and perhaps were, uh, you know, perhaps were. Um, that's even why they left is because maybe like the doctor they weren't they didn't want to be involved in that kind of stuff or yeah. you know whatever so um i mean that's all conjecture we don't get any of those details but just that idea that there were some other you know time lords out there who maybe yeah. would have been on the doctor's side and could have helped and would understand why he did the things that he did um yes would would be nice so yeah Anyway. Um, um, let's see. <laughs> Where now? So we should probably talk a little bit about Amy and Rory. I'm okay if we don't talk about the actual house at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's to say? It's some sort of entity that, you know, is able to devour TARDISes and Time Lords. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, well, I do want to mention, I mean, I other than, I agree with you, other than I've, I just like Michael Sheen's performance like the voice is great mm. you know so he's a great you know not the most interesting part of the episode but i think he just has a really sinister you know he does a good job with it um connecting the time lords in house i do want to mention one of my favorite lines ever you know which is the 
fear me, I've killed hundreds of Time Lords. Fear sure. me, I killed all of them. Just, yeah. again, at the same moment that you're rooting for him, you're going, ooh, <laughs> is that the kind of thing you want to be boasting about? Right. Like, and and it, again, it's that this ambiguity. This is you know? Time Lord Victorious This is again. Time Lord Victorious. Yeah. And he's right, you know, like... It, it, you know, you can't say that the boast is unfounded, and you can't say right. that he's wrong for... Obviously, you want him to beat House in the end, you know, but, yeah, the Doctor has no small opinion of his ability, you know, um, and at the same... And this is why he wants to be forgiven, right, is because at the same, same time that he's boasting about the fact that he could kill all of the Time Lords, this is why... He wants to be forgiven. This is yeah. why he has those dark thoughts about himself and Amy's choice. You know, all sorts of... So he's sort of proud of it and ashamed of it at the same time, you know? Mm. Um, and, it, you know, it, that's one of those... I love that kind of moment of... I don't know whether to root for him in that moment or not, you know? Um, sure. You know, because as he's mourning the, the, the loss of the Time Lords again, he's also sort of aware of what you know of how powerful he was to sort of end the time war and everything so right i just think that's a brilliant line so i wanted to mention it yeah, yeah. and that was one gaiman talked about um in the rewrite adding in certain things specifically for matt smith like the bunk beds or the sexy and whatever um but that was a line he said that he could imagine that was like an all-purpose doctor episode that he could, mm. or, or all-purpose doctor line that he could imagine any of them saying that and saying it slightly differently, you know, like, you know, he wouldn't have written bunk beds for the other doctors, but you could imagine Eccleston or Tennant putting their own spin on that line. Um, sure. You know, which is an interesting one to choose because it is that kind of dark, all-powerful doctor moment. Right. So, yeah. you know. Right. So, like, right, does that mean then that it's more central than any of the other stuff, right, you know, right. to the more character of the, the doctor? More central to the doctor's character, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. That was kind of the main thing I wanted to mention. No, that's house. good. So that, that is uh, definitely a good line. Um, and we'll probably talk a little bit about it in connection with Rory and Amy. But, um, yeah. I, yeah. Anyway, so um, I don't know that there's a ton to say about them, although... A um, couple things I want to point out. One, I you know, the whole, like, <laughs> Rory, of course. So Amy tells him to stay with the doctor and to, you know, watch the doctor. And then the doctor says, stay with Amy. So, yeah. of course, who's he pick? He's going to stay with Amy. Him. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. that's not even, like, really a question at this no. point. Um, no, but, and, just, like, and, but that, again, that subordinate role for him, that they're in charge and they're telling him what to do. Now he still has to oh, yeah. choose what to do, you know, but you know, that that's kind of his, he's the third wheel still in a way that they're each telling him to look after the other one. Right. Right. Um, but the, uh, so, okay. So they go back to the TARDIS and house takes the TARDIS over. Another, and... another great line with the, it's just what they're called. It doesn't mean he knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> He'll be fine. He's a time lord. It's just what they're called. Um, no. Uh, so they go back and they get trapped. So the whole... Um, 
like the, the so her when 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 the house tries to you know like get them to convince him why to stay open though it's Rory who comes up now maybe it's yeah. not the best reason in the world but it's interesting <laughs> but it that yeah. that like Amy's not actually the one who comes up yeah. with like a reason she can't think of one she's yeah. like uh 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 Rory? which yeah. yeah it i think that's actually an interesting thing with with Rory's character because she Amy's been with the doctor longer. So like you would think that she would be a little bit better at the and and there are moments where she is better at sort of you know coming up with you know rationalizations right away. Um yeah. you know as to why to do or not do a particular thing. And but it's Rory who she kind of looks to in this moment and again, you know, the well, you can play with us and torture us more <laughs> if you don't kill us right away. Yeah. Maybe not the best reason, but you know, he he gave it a good old it gets college the job try done. Yeah. and and it keeps them from being killed right away, yeah. which is a bonus. Um so, of course, what happens? It's um we get the we get the line of run, right? Like yeah. this is this is not the run <laughs> that you know, of, I, I mean, it's in a way it's similar to when the doctor says run, it's, you know, a save yourself kind of run, but right. it's, it's not being delivered. Run. Yeah. yeah, it's right. It's being delivered by the uh, antagonist in this yeah. case. Um, and they do run. And so uh, one of the things, so you sent me a couple little uh, interview things for, with Neil Gaiman about, um, you know, his, you know, his sort of writing and, and vision for the episode and that kind of thing. And, and one of the things he talks about is how you never really get to see the interior yeah. of the TARDIS beyond sort of the main control room. So this was an opportunity to explore that a little bit and see that there are, you know, like any spaceship or whatever, there are going to be corridors and, mm -hmm. you know, places where you would uh, run into other rooms and that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, that just as we are exploring the psychology of the TARDIS, we get to explore the physical space of the TARDIS yeah. a little bit more, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that, you know, of course, there's sort of all, like, generic interior corridors, yeah. like, and, and, but that, you know, they can be manipulated in certain ways, and, and um, they do get manipulated in certain ways, mm -hmm. so that, like, Amy and Rory get split up. Um, but that also, there's... So there's the space component, right, of, you know, going, like, the the corridors and the rooms and stuff can be rebuilt and moved yeah. and shifted around. But there's also the time component of, yeah. you know, he's, he starts playing around with their sense of time and, yeah. um, and, and uh, also the psychic stuff. So mm -hmm. we've, you know, even going way back to like second episode, right, of, of Rose and the end of the world and, mm -hmm. or the end of the earth or whatever it is yeah. um you know where she's like wait a minute there's this psychic thing for translation that you yeah. put that you allowed in my head and like didn't even ask me or anything yeah. but like and and so we're like you know at the time it's like okay well it, you know it's just translating languages and stuff but like we see here that there's like more nefarious mm -hmm. you know stuff going on and and not that we haven't i mean certainly there have been other moments since you know between that second episode of season one and now but yeah um you know things like with the dream lord and that kind of sure. stuff you know psychic pollen got in the engine and right oops <laughs> you know <laughs> that that almost ended in tragedy or whatever yeah. but 
you know, there's, you know, there's this idea that there like could be a more nefarious purpose to this psychic stuff that isn't always sort of in the forefront of yeah. the TARDIS's capabilities, but we sort of get to see a little more here that, that there is, uh, some right. stuff that can get played around with in not so nice ways. And uh, again, that same ambiguity of, is that just the house and the TARDIS doing the manipulating or how much is it playing on subconscious fears? You know, like, yeah. You know, when we see Rory waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and he says, I waited for you and you did it to me again. Mm. Um, is this is this Rory's fear? Is this Amy's fear? You know, is it both? Is it, right. you know, it's hard to say, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know that there's an answer there, but um, well, it makes and me I wonder. get the sense that that. I got the sense that that was Amy because Rory mm. isn't really that old and hasn't really yeah. been, yeah. but like that simultaneous to that, even though we're not, we don't see Rory that simultaneous to Amy having those, um, you know, psychic, whatever moments yeah. that Rory is off having similar ones. Perhaps. Right. Right. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I imagine I, so too. Yeah. But I want to point out that again, it's actually Rory, who sort of comes in and I mean, doesn't save her, but is the one who kind of like informs her of, Hey, it's the, it's, we're being messed around with. Right. Yeah. So like here, follow me. So again, like, even though Rory is like you pointed out, still sort of the subservient one, there are moments here where we're starting to get him being yeah, a little more, uh, he's a little more clear headed, you know, I think. Yeah. General, a little more yeah. clear headed, a little more straightforward. Yeah. Um, and a little more, just being able to not not so like you know newbie yeah on just the, waiting for the Amy boat. to tell like him what to do he's or, actually yeah. got a little bit better handle of what's actually going on in those moments yep um which you know later even um you know with regard to like the the you know him saying what what's he say about um you know, him being a nurse and, and not, you know, uh, not sort of being able to put aside what was going on, but mm-hmm. like that he should have been able to handle it better. And, and the doctor sort of chides him and he's like, you know, well, no, you, you know, you let it get to you. You know what that's called? Being alive. And, and so like there is a sense that Rory is sort of letting go of his um, stuffiness. I don't know. I, maybe mm-hmm. stuffy, maybe... Stuffy isn't quite the right way to describe him, but you know what I mean? Like yeah, the, I know what you mean. Uh, you know, like that idea of he's... Little, he wasn't he, the adventurous one, right? He was a bit right? of a stick in he, the mud early right, on. You right, know, he wasn't and, yeah. the adventurous one. He didn't yeah. want to go off and have adventures. He wanted to stay home and be prosaic and, you know, sort of yeah. have jobs and get married and have children and that yeah. kind of thing. So, like, there is that sense that, that maybe he's starting to let a bit of that go and, and really... Yeah you know, to feel and be present in the moment and not let all of that get to him as much. But which sort of also ironically, maybe not ironically, maybe it's an intended effect, which also sort of gives him a better ability to sort of handle those situations then, right? right? So, like, he is the one who recognizes what's going on and um, is able to sort of uh, lead Amy in the right direction and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Yep. So I think that's interesting and uh, 
you know, good for that. Hope, you know, we've seen it's not the first companion who will have been changed by being, sure. you know, with the TARDIS and yeah. traveling with the Doctor and stuff. So, yeah. um, also, I guess sort of on the same lines then, it becomes interesting because sort of putting all of that together, it really was Amy who needed the help and not the doctor because mm-hmm. the doctor was able to create the, the right. right to get there on his and own. had, yeah. you know, and, 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 you know, find them and all of that. And like, had Rory been there, would he have been able to help with any of that? No, but right. instead he goes with Amy and is able yeah. then to help her. So kind of, Maybe, like, I don't think this would have been, uh, uh, I don't think that's, like, a, a conscious thing that he would have thought of, but mm-hmm. maybe there's, excuse me, an intuition there or something that, like, lets him sort of see that, actually, no, I should be with Amy. And yeah. and more more so than just, she's my wife and I should be with her, but, like, but even, like, maybe there's something there about, like, she could actually need my help. So I'll go yeah. with her instead of the doctor who Yeah, I mean it seems right that the doctor and the TARDIS are sort of there for each other and yeah. the companions are there for each other. That not to minimize their their relationship with the doctor, but that that they are more in sync with each other and more useful to each other than they are to him necessarily. Like right. I think the doctor doesn't well, this is debatable. I was going to say the Doctor doesn't need companions in the same way that he needs the TARDIS. I think having seen, like, the whole you need someone to stop you, Waters of Mars fiasco, that's a debatable point. Sure. You know, but you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't need them, like, physically. Like, he didn't need Rory to protect him necessarily. You know, like, he doesn't need yeah. Rory for the adventuring in the same way that he needs the box, you know? Right. Like it he might need them sort of emotionally, but like they're not necessary to his survival in the same way whereas you know the TARDIS kind of is like he really does need her in that mm-hmm. way. Um you know, but yeah, like Rory and Amy are more useful to each other. Um cuz they're kind of working more on the same level. Um mm-hmm. You know, they can't help build the TARDIS, but they can keep each other safe in the corridors, so yeah, yeah. Um, one last thing I want to bring up, and then we should probably stop, <laughs> unless you have anything else. Um, but sure. I want to. I maybe this is just me. Maybe I'm weird because I don't know that anybody else has ever like I've ever heard anybody else say this. But I remember being like shocked when they first ran into the old control room, like feeling like mm. I don't know why that even more so than the TARDIS being a lady that just like threw me and like blindsided me. I don't know why. And it's something about like, I mean, maybe it's the same thing that people who knew Sarah Jane felt like when she came back to the new show, there's something about that being gone and done Mm. that like, it's just, it feels like, and I think too, like, uh, you know, the end of Tenet's Doctor was such a big emotional moment and the TARDIS just gets goes down in flames. There's something that just feels sort of like that's a sacred space and like sure. they're gone now and it feels so kind of, the way they have it sort of lit, it just feels so kind of 
hunted and like Amy and Rory and the 11th Doctor don't belong there you know mm. there's something weird about seeing them in there um, it just feels like really bizarre so I don't know I, there's like a creepy quality to it that I like um, sure I don't know why like when I first saw it I remember feeling like this is cool but it also feels really wrong like yeah like no that's not your control room go back to your own control room but also I kind of wanted to see it again too um, I don't know why just the image of it just like yeah. affected me strongly yeah and it's like and it's not even like when you know Buffy and the Scoobies go back to the burnt out school right because that's that's right. like bombed it's different yeah, it it's not look the you know same like it doesn't yeah. look the same it's but it's yeah no right. I, I can see this that empty room not being used that's just sort of archived away I don't know that I had the same feeling but I I sort of see what you're saying um yeah no it's interesting and also I mean then we can't forget that she you know she says she keeps copies of like all of them right, he, right. and and what is he like I, I like the running theme of like it, they're just changing like desktop themes, right? Yeah, you know, it's just yeah. like it's like not even really, uh, you know, like that big of a deal. But like the TARDIS keeps right. them all, right? Like it, like right. you know, like that. There's this backup system of, and, and she keeps she's archived the ones that haven't happened yet. Yeah, yeah. no, and that's where I, yeah, that's what I was gonna say next is, is you know, oh, I must have like thirty of them now. So, you know, I mean, not that the Doctor couldn't change them sort of interimly, but I guess that's, that's part of like the whole doctor change, right? Is that it's, he gets a new costume, gets a new control room mm. and whatever, but like they don't really change the control room in the midst of a new doctor. Right. I mean, it's not like, not that we've seen yet. Um, I mean, maybe I don't know it about the classic one or not, but okay. But I mean, she says there's like 30 of them. So the implication right. is that there's, that we're going to, if if we're sort of doing it each time there's a new doctor that there's gonna we're gonna blow out that limit of <laughs> you know what is it twelve generate right, regenerations right. or whatever yeah um, the twelve limit so you know th there's another little sneaky yeah. thing in there uh, yeah. that Neil Neil Gaiman puts in there yeah um, definitely you know again not to say that we've talked about how there maybe isn't really a canon. Sure. You know, well, to Dr. Who. Well, there's still a so sense of fluid time, that time is always being rewritten. So, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, is that future stable necessarily? Who knows? But um, Yeah, although on the other hand, the TARDIS is sort of outside of that too. Or, or, so, yeah, I don't know. Would, like, there's there's a sense that even though you're right, there is a sense of fluid time, but that like also the TARDIS would be able to see that, right? Because there right. she can see in eleven dimensions. So Right. <laughs> you know, she's an eleven dimensional being. Yeah. Um so there just there is that sense, I guess, just that yes, while things can change at the same time, the TARDIS knows that things can change and might know yeah. what those changes are and yeah. you know, all of that kind of stuff too. So yeah. I don't know. No, I, don't I agree. Know. It does it's it's it is very much like the gender thing that it's a hint of, you know, what what's to come or what could be, you know, in the yeah. future, you know, sort of nodding in that direction. Yeah. So anyway, all well, that said, I'd like the episode 
I'm okay with the bait and switch, <laughs> and uh, I'm sure we'll have others. That, so I did not know that, I mean, before you told me the other day, uh, that Neil Gaiman had written two episodes. I thought he had yeah. only written one. So that's, yeah. that's news to me, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the other one is, because I, while I said that I had some idea of what... Uh, a few elements of this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea what the second one would cool. be like. So, Yep, we will get that next season. Yeah. Yeah, of course, I have time to wait. And <laughs> it, during which time, I'm sure I will forget all about it. Yeah. All, <laughs> I mean, not that I know anything about it, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Anyway. I know what you mean. All right. All right. Well, we've gone way over. Yeah. Uh, so we well, will be back. I feel like these were good episodes to go over. Oh on, yeah, so. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we will be back though next week with Angel and and Doctor Who again. So. All right. See you then. Mm-hmm.